You're tuning in to the Raised by Rentals program. This podcast will contain strong language and spoilers for decades-old media properties. Welcome, everybody. This is the podcast where we examine pop culture franchises of the VHS era and improv news stories right now, live to hard drive, to imagine how we might improve our favorite movies, TV, games, and comics. I'm Josh. Now, Mike. And we were raised by rentals. Mike, this is the first episode of Raised by Rentals where you probably just heard me mention it. We're going to finally talk about comics. Yes, we, we, it's not normally a part of our mandate. It's always our favorite movies, TV, and games. But we talk about comics a lot. There's tons of comic book properties out there that are you know, ripe for the picking, even to this day, even with the absolute plethora, plethora of uh, – <laughs> sorry, I always will quote Three Amigos when given the opportunity. Do you know what a plethora is? <laughs> Oh, man. The absolute plethora of, you know, comic book adaptations out there. There is still a lot of properties that I think would be amazing to see on the silver screen, big screen, little screen, whatever it is. There definitely um, are some good ones out there. So I don't want to bear the lead. Our last couple episodes, I think we spent way too much time leading into the topic before we got there. <laughs> and I was reminded by myself on the episode of, you know, saying that my rental rant self would be yelling at me right now that we didn't just get to the fucking point. So right. I'm just going to say I'm excited to talk about one of my all time favorite comics, not necessarily because it's good, but just because it's my <laughs> one of my favorites. Right. <laughs> uh, which is the Wildcats from Image Absolutely. Comics in the 90s. One of the uh, the the Image uh, founding titles, right? Yeah, that's right. It was uh, Jim Lee, uh, created by Jim Lee and Brandon Choi. I guess they were like childhood friends who created the characters together. I guess the lore there is that some of the characters were actually like childhood creations that they had created together like years ago. And, you know, Jim Lee kind of stuck them around, had them in his back pocket. And when it came time to form Image Comics back in 1992, uh, the original uh, seven or six founders, depending on how you look at it, you know, most of them put out their books in 1992 or 1993. And the Wildcats was, I want to say, the third release. I could I could be mistaken, but yeah, uh, Jim Lee put it out as a four issue miniseries originally. And uh, it was a huge, huge you know, seller at the time uh, for, for Image Comics and for what would eventually become uh, known as Wildstorm Studios. And, yeah, it launched an absolute, like, brand juggernaut, at least in the 90s in comics. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, DC Comics actually owns uh, the Wildcats now and all of the Wildstorm properties. Even I discovered a lot of the characters that were co-created by other people, like uh, Brett Booth, uh, who created Backlash, now owned by DC, and Wetworks, of all things, now owned by DC as well. Uh, oh, because we'll Yeah, because Wills Portacio, who one of the original seven image creators, actually joined Wildstorm Studios later. That's why I say it's kind of six or seven, depending on how you look at it. 
you know, because gotcha. Wills kind of teamed up with Jim Lee and had his own little he had his own little corner of the universe where he did his like horror sci-fi books. Uh, it was always uh, you know soldiers versus vampires and shit. Uh, yep. That was kind of kind of his uh, his his trade there. But yeah, they all got kind of packaged up and they're owned by DC Comics now. And we see some characters from time to time in the DC universe. Yeah, they keep killing Grifter for some reason. I don't know why, but. <laughs> <laughs> But I say fuck all that because back in the 90s, the Wildcats was uh, a huge success. And characters like Grifter and Zealot, I think, were some standout characters from the book who became like big comic book, you know, popular comic book superheroes. They were on the cover of Wizard magazine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, I remember that. (laughs) And I miss Uh, Wizard. (laughs) I know. I do, too. I do, too. And that's actually why. I became a fan of the cartoonist kayfabe YouTube channel, not to go down too much of a rabbit trail, but if you're out there and you like comics and you're really into the deep nerd shit and you want to check out something awesome, check out cartoonist kayfabe on YouTube uh, hosted by Ed Piscor and Jim Rugg. I initially got into it because I was already a fan of those two creators, Ed Piscor, the creator of the hip hop family tree and WYSIWYG and Jim Rugg, creator of street angel amongst other things like the plain Janes and their friends and, you know, living in Pennsylvania and they started, youtube channel where they would literally just read through wizard magazines like starting with number one and just on camera (laughs) yeah and my wife used to make fun of me like you're literally watching a youtube channel where two guys you don't know are reading a magazine (laughs) (laughs) worth it (laughs) totally worth it and i'm still a huge fan and they've got sixty thousand followers now and like uh yeah a huge like cult following actually and a huge uh fan base on facebook of people like making their own comics now based on those guys so hey you never know and they're and because they're they're guys that are similar to age and us they were they're huge image comics fanboys and they've even had todd mcfarlane and rob liefeld and eric larson and a bunch of other guys from image on as guests on the show before to do like interviews and and whatnot so yeah it's a it's a really really cool channel if you haven't checked it out um and actually just recently they were looking at the jim lee x-men trading card art which was a pretty fascinating episode if you want to get real deep nerdy (laughs) like me Uh, and it was some good stuff. And I say deep nerdy because I think now owning a book about that is probably, you know, that's some nerd shit. But back then, I mean, those X-Men trading card sets that Jim Lee drew were an absolute oh. hit for Marvel. And I think that they really expanded Jim Lee's, his cult of personality, you know, his celebrity. Oh, yeah. Dude, I was all about the Marvel trading cards, like more so than the comics at first, because I was I, I've said this on the show before, like when, when I was reading comic books, I started off reading my sister's comics. Um, I wasn't really spending my own money on comic books until the Archie Ninja Turtles. Um, that's when I started buying comics. I got, bought a couple of the Mirage ones, or I should say my sister bought me a couple of the Mirage ones because I was into the Ninja Turtles cartoon. And then I started reading the Archie Ninja Turtle comics. And that eventually is what kind of spiraled into X-Men and all that. But I started buying those X-Men trading cards and the Marvel trading cards and Marvel Masterpiece trading cards. And I was all about those. And those X-Men cards, man, I I still I I can see it in my head. The Gambit card where he's like he's in a forest and he's like flinging the cards at the viewer. And it's so fucking cool looking like, ah, I love those cards so much. 
Hell yeah, yeah. And I've mentioned on the on this show, or maybe it was on Ken Creepyhead before, where I got into comics because of trading cards, really. You know, yep. and I, I had been vaguely interested in superhero characters because of like the Hulk TV show in the eighties and shit. But my dad was a big trading card uh collector of sports cards, primarily baseball and hockey, and he would drag me along back in the early nineties when it was uh there was a really, really big market for trading cards. He would drag me along to like sports memorabilia stores and he, you know, I'd be bored and not really caring too much about hockey cards. And yeah, he handed me a Marvel Universe like Series One pack one day in the store, and I opened it up and just fell in love with. I don't know who the hell Nick Fury was, but Captain America was in there, and I recognized him. You know, I'd yep. seen that really bad TV movie they made. <laughs> oh God, the Plastic Shield. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, and and I fell in love because to me it was like this. It was like this mysterious world. Like I'd read the backs of the cards and learn all the facts and figures, and I'm like, what? You know, it was fascinating to me. Uh, um, you know, I, I had Aunt May as one of the trading cards in that first pack. I still remember that. And I remember it because I'm like, why is there this weird old lady in this trading card set? <laughs> and for for a while, I thought that Aunt May was like secretly some kind of superhero, too, because there was a joke. And I remembered all these fucking decades later that there was a joke on the back of the card where it would have like group membership. Where like, oh. you know, for, for Captain America, obviously it's the Avengers, right? But then on yeah. for Aunt May, the group membership was the Silver Foxes, which <laughs> I've learned later on is like sort of a political party, you know, for, you know, the elderly set. But right. at the time I had no idea what it was. And I'm like, oh, this old lady is secretly in some like superhero team called the Silver Foxes. I wonder who the rest of them are. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> But yeah, so so uh, Marvel eventually put out a series that was nothing but the X-Men, and they got Jim Lee, who was the star artist of the Uncanny X-Men at the time, to draw all 100 of the trading cards. And yeah, guys like me, I mean, that that was my who's who into understanding superhero comics when I was you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. I bought all the DC card series. I bought the G.I. Joe set, which was fucking great. <laughs> you, you remember that. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> And I love that they did two X-Men series, one with the original Jim Lee art. There were so many great sets. I also got to say, as 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 an artist, you know, myself, uh, I feel like because, you know, obviously one of these days we will talk about this in the show. Obviously, I've tried my hand at the comic book thing. Not my cup of tea. I've tried many, many, many times to draw comic books. You and I have tried it multiple times. I, you know, I, I did it with with another writer and it's just not something I really enjoy doing. There, there's still one or two comic stories in my mind that I would like to draw one day, but we'll see if I actually get there. But drawing a trading card set, dude, that seems like so much fun. Like to right? just have a collection of characters and think of like dynamic situations to, to draw like a single image of like that just seems so fun to me. So I imagine he probably had a blast drawing all these great characters for that set. Yeah, he probably did. I agree. You know, and and having to come up with like a new like, you know, uh, action pose for like every yeah. card. That, that's a really interesting challenge to think about, you know, because you can't just have the people like, you know, standing. grinning. You know, <laughs> yeah, they, they can't just be standing there. But they also can't just be like, you know, grimacing at the camera every single time either. Like they got to be doing something, you know, right. flying or shooting a beam or, you know, whatever. Um but yeah, I mentioned before the trading card market was huge in the early to mid '90s. I mean, absolutely huge. You know, Marvel bought their own trading card company back at the time, and it was it was big business, not just in comics, but you know, uh, uh, like I said, in sports memorabilia and everything else. Hell, 
you know, fun fact of trivia, Todd McFarlane, another one of the Image Comic founders, the creator of Spawn, before he went back into comics to create Spawn, he tried unsuccessfully, but he, he spent quite a bit of time trying to launch his own sports memorabilia and trading card company because he's a big sports fan and, you know, the market was so lush at the time, you know. Yep. Um, but anyway, so – Jim Lee drew this whole set right around the time that, you know, he was wrapping up on his run on Uncanny X-Men. Marvel launched the adjectiveless X-Men with, you know, the new number one that became one of the biggest selling comics of all time. And to this day is still, you know, in the top five or ten, I think. Um, so his profile was huge, huge. Yeah. You didn't have to be a comic book fan to know who Jim Lee was, you know. Oh, Absolutely. Um, yeah, and every time you'd see some comic book artist on like a late night talk show or a TV show or a behind the scenes of your favorite, you know, comics or whatever, it was they would talk. They would be talking to Stan Lee, Rob Liefeld, or Jim Lee every time. Those were the guys, you know. Mm -hmm. If you saw comic book people on TV, it was one of those guys. Um, yep. So Jim Lee was a big deal, and for him to then leave Marvel. And, you know, where he had this sure thing selling millions of copies of a comic and then go over to start his own company with his image partners and then put out something like Wildcats. And it was it was going to be a hit. It was going to be a huge seller. Doesn't matter what it was. It was going to be <laughs> yep. a huge seller. But then, unlike some of his compatriots in, in the early image comics, and we won't <laughs> name names. Right. You know, I would say that the Wildcats actually had a story that held up. You know, he wasn't just yeah. all it wasn't all just flash and bang. It wasn't all just image, you know, <laughs> to, to yep. yeah, forgive the pun. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, you know, big muscles, big guns, hot chicks, you know, action scenes. Like there was a story to the Wildcats that I like I said, like I said before, Wildstorm, the company that he later, you know, went on to form around Wildcats and Stormwatch, it became a huge, you know, uh, a presence in the comic book industry for a long time. And it was all based on this original four issue miniseries that he did. Mm -hmm. And that's so, the thing, like early image, I, I would say both Spawn and Wildcats had a solid story first. And I mean, obviously the art was awesome. Dep well, depending on if you're a fan of McFarlane or not, I personally am, but I know a lot of people hate his crazy non-realistic anatomy um you know everybody has six knees and a hundred teeth um but yeah, <laughs> yeah i i will say that both of those comics had a solid foundation story-wise uh, i feel like savage dragon obviously made made its it made its way like the first four issues didn't really grab me but i know like i know you've read what all the savage dragon now or uh, I'm about a year behind, like, current okay. continuity, but yeah, that's been one of my projects over the years, but to piece my whole Savage Dragon <laughs> collection together, because it's also, he's just a shitload of spinoffs as well, yeah, and yeah. I, I absolutely adore Savage Dragon, but yeah, I would agree with you, the first three-issue miniseries was fun, but it didn't really catch its stride until it relaunched with a new number one, and even, Eric, I think Eric Larson even re recognized that, because later on, he went back and repackaged the original miniseries with a shitload of extra pages, and, like, he reordered the scene around and told it in a different chronological order uh, you know he sort of reshuffled it you know he did a, re he yeah. did a, a remix what, that was just called the dragon with no adjective and that was really good and, and and i will say i mean i'm sure you'll agree with me here like young blood while awesome looking i love all the characters well i shouldn't say i love all the characters i like a lot of the characters <laughs> um yeah, me too. it's it's as basic as basic gets for a 90s superhero team you know, it's just not that good. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I am an absolute Rob Liefeld fanboy, and I always will be, even though I, I, I you know, I can see the faults. Like I, I see the cracks. Oh yeah. Like, oh no, I I'm actually love delusional. him. But, <laughs> and that's the thing. Yeah. Like after watching multiple interviews with him, I'm like, you know what? This is he's good people. Like Rob is a good dude, and yeah. he created a lot of stuff that I love from my childhood. And again. Dude's clearly a professional artist. I am not, so I ain't gonna talk shit about his art. <laughs> right. But I will say, like, his he doesn't have the best storytelling chops, on the, you know, yeah. out there. No, um, he's the Michael hey, Bay of he's the Michael Bay of comics. You know what I mean? <laughs> dude, that is one hundred percent perfect. Because yes, he he makes big, flashy, cool-looking things with not a lot of substance. But everyone seems to like him because he's a yeah. good dude. <laughs> he is, yeah. And and but he, when he did to back, uh, not to not that this is the young blood, you know, story hour, but yeah, Rob, Rob, he's a good dude. He takes care of people. He recognizes talent. He knows talent. And maybe he's not the best writer, but he's got mm. cool, cool. Like, he knows what's cool. He knew it was cool back then. Like he had his yep. fucking thumb on the pulse, and his characters were cool. It doesn't people complained about you know his anatomy or he ripping off this character or whatever. I don't give a fuck. Everybody bought fucking young blood. It's one of the biggest comics of all time because it was cool and it was full of action and fun and violence but he Damn also right. he was yeah. cool he did a levi's jean commercial hell yeah hell yeah <laughs> i saw that shit that's the spike man the camera on your head um but uh but you know he did, he hired talent he brought people in who could write and who could draw you know or maybe if they couldn't draw better than him they had the same kind of like cool fun energy that he had you know he brought yeah. in you know guys like eric stevenson uh and stephen platt and chap yap and you know all these guys that were just bombastic you know but yeah he also brought in real talent you know guys like uh like don simpson and keith giffen and you know guys who could really write because he, he know he can recognize talent you know whether it's absolutely talent because it's by the book you know getting the story done or it's just wow look at this exciting imagery you know um Anyway, but I think Jim Lee was sort of the opposite of that because his stuff was always – it was exciting and it was big and it was over the top. But there was more care taken into like, yeah, it might be science fiction, but we can at least try to make it look like it works. You know, right. you know? Like there's some kind of physics behind it. There's an explanation there. There's a backstory. And I think that that's what we got with the Wildcats. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think out of the original six image launches, you know, setting what wet works aside, I think it's about half and half for me. Like Savage Dragon, Wildcats, and Spawn all told a really good story with the art i think youngblood shadowhawk and cyberforce the stories weren't as strong but those books were really exciting for you know for other reasons you know and i'm Absolutely. a huge i'm a huge fan of all of them yeah. um but yeah so to me i was so impressed with the story of the wildcats back in the day and maybe now all these years later i'm older i'm wiser i realized that yeah it's a little trite it's a little cliche you know <laughs> maybe it wasn't so genius as i thought it was when i was 12 you know right. <laughs> but again jim lee had these exciting characters he actually had a backstory you know he brought in his friend to be a writer brandon Choi, who later on went on to have a career with dc comics for years up until just a few years ago you know he was an executive at dc um 
And uh, yeah, I think that they they really tried to take it seriously. And I think that that's what they did at Wildstorm more than any of the other founders. Every founder had their strength, they, whether they were a salesman or the cheerleader or, you know, like set, like they had the, the longevity and the stamina like Eric Larson, who's still pumping out Savage Dragon, right. you know, all these years later. But Jim Lee was smart. He was like, we have to put the pieces together in the right way and like build something. You know, yeah. uh, and I think that that's what he did. So, yeah, it was this awesome comic with a, uh, the weird the weirdest title, though, the weirdest freaking title, Yeah, <laughs> because it's like half an acronym that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> it was what, what, like covert action teams or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'll say right now, I have more notes for this episode than I have than I have any episode we've ever recorded by a long shot, by triple maybe, because I'm just trying. I wrote everything down. I was to my, trying to explain to myself everything that I knew, so I wouldn't just get on here and just diarrhea the mouth and just like, oh, did you know this? And did you know this? And did you know this? <laughs> Because I'm a mega fan, right? I have, mm-hmm. I have, have like every, every Wildstorm comic, or if I don't, I will. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so a cat, a C A T cat, is a covert action team. It is a team, in the sense that like the word team is not pluralized because it it in, it uh, implies that there are multiple people involved. It's a you know conglomerate noun, right? And in the <laughs> in the world of the Wildstorm universe, there is an uh, a government agency that is a sort of secret espionage action black ops group called International Operations or IO, and they they refer to you know their black ops teams as cats, right? It's a team is a cat. More than one team is a is a set of cats, plural, right? <laughs> right. And, and so the team that is the superhero group that is the star of the book, they are a rogue cat or a wild, you know, cat. Like they're not, you know, right. they don't work. For, they don't work for IO. So the team is a wild cat. But then the people who are on the team are called the wild cats. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so it's like, wait, is the Wildcats the name of the people or the team? I don't know. I don't know. I'm confused. <laughs> yeah. Very grammatically wonky, you know, and it, it's it's one of the few things about the book that I feel like, yeah, you guys could have used a second draft on that. You know, <laughs> like there's so many cool ideas, but that's not one of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, and, I, and I actually love the fact that the, that the characters had, you know, cool names. I, at least I think they were cool. I mean, I yeah. learned so much vocabulary <laughs> from just I, <laughs> learning I the learned, characters' names. I learned what a zealot was because of this book. <laughs> yeah, I, I learned what a zealot was. I learned uh, what a grifter was. I had mm-hmm. heard – I knew that there was a movie called The Grifters. I, I mean, I was too young to watch it or give a shit. I just – I, but yeah, I, I had to look these words up. Like, what is a grifter – <laughs> you know, and like, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I'm going to stop right here. And at the, at the risk of going on and on and on and on and on about every little thing, I'm going to just kind of give a quick, as quick as I can explanation of what the wildcats are for anyone who might not be familiar or who needs a little refresher. Uh, and, th- and then I, I kind of want to talk about like what could have been, right. I think that would be fun because there was yeah. a wild there was a wildcats animated series that came out in like I think 96 or 97 that was not 
good or, or a very big hit, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, but they did a lot of toys and a lot of spin-off comics. Like I said, it was a whole franchise. It was a whole, you know, sub-industry. But they never did a live action, like a movie or a TV show. And I, I always would, would dream of that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Got Spawn live action. Where's my Wildcats, damn it? <laughs> right? <laughs> I'll so, be honest, I would like to see movies of all of the originals, including, you know, Cyber Force and Savage Dragon, Shadowhawk, Youngblood. I'd watch them all happily. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. They, would, they wouldn't even have to be good, like, because I yeah, read the exactly. comics, and I don't care if the comics are good or not. I just read them anyway, because they're <laughs> fucking cool. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I'd be so excited. Man, I always wanted to see Bruce Willis play uh, Savage Dragon. God, that'd be such a great oh, fucking role fucking for awesome, him. awesome, dude. <laughs> Right? Isn't that perfect? <laughs> that would be so good. Ah, it's too old now. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So, what the fuck are the Wildcats? For anyone who might not be, uh, might not be familiar, we just explained the whole backstory of creating the comic. But like, what are they? And again, it's really hard to narrow it down because, damn, it's complicated when you really <laughs> like take a step back and look at all the shit that's going on in, in this book. Right. Um, but the simplest version I can come up with is okay. So there are uh eight characters basically on the team um there uh, there's a guy named jacob marlowe who later is called lord emp which is the one character name i fucking hate <laughs> i hate that name so much yeah it's, it's so, emp like what does that mean is it supposed to be like imp because he's like a little person you know and, and they just spelled it weird like to be funny or I, I don't know what the fuck that is i questioned that like even on this read i was like why is his name Emp? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. It, so, okay. So I'm going to stop right there because yeah, his name Emp is fucking strange, but yeah, so he's a little person and he's very mysterious. And so basically the, the story without going into the whole plot, the story basically starts with a feature on him and he's a homeless guy with amnesia and this mysterious Chrome woman appears to him <laughs> out of nowhere with these weird otherworldly powers and says that she's had, you know, like a precognition that he's destined to save the world and she's here to save him from his, you know, life of uh, debauchery or whatever or his amnesia so that he can save the world. And he agrees. And then you fast forward a couple of years later and he's the he's the CEO of a huge global corp company called the Halo Corporation. He's got like more money than fucking God. He's a billionaire and he still like still likes to go out hard drinking and pass out in in, uh, in alleyways sometimes with the and Void has to come and rescue him over and over again. But um yeah. <laughs> And I mentioned the name Void, so that she's the Chrome Lady, and her whole backstory is a little bit strange too. But yeah, so what we find out is Void, the the, the Chrome Lady, she has these weird otherworldly powers that she gained of teleportation and again precognition, you know, seeing visions of the future. She gained them from some strange, mysterious orb of power that plays into the plot as sort of a MacGuffin later on. Uh, it's not really important to the overall story, though. It's just like a thing that they need to find. And she, she for some reason, wants to help Marlowe regain his memories and his power in the world because he is apparently an immortal warrior from an alien race known as the Karabim from the planet Kara. He has been on the Earth for thousands of years since a Karen starship crash landed on the planet Earth while in battle with another starship uh, piloted by the Daemonites from the planet Daemon, 
who are the like sworn like age old blood enemies of the Caribbean. So you have the Caribbean versus the Daemonites battling in space thousands of years ago. They crash land on Earth. There are survivors of both crashes and they both intermingle into human society in different ways. Right. Mm. Um, <laughs> right off the bat, Mike, I know you're thinking to yourself, like the names Caribbean, Daemonite, <laughs> like <laughs> cherub demons. Like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very like they're like angels and you know devils. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's very <laughs> on the nose. <laughs> yeah, very on the nose, especially since the Caribbean look like humans, but they have these godlike powers, uh, mm. whether they're superpowers or just being strong and fast or whatever, but they're all like, you know, humans to like the nth degree. And then the Daemonites basically look like the Xenomorphs from the alien series, you know? Um, right. And even though they're physical aliens, they can transform themselves into these like spectral beings, these sort of ghosts and then inhabit or possess a human body and take it over. Like it's a human host. So I don't know how they're big, like six armed uh, alien body fits inside of a human. But yeah, it's this weird transformation that takes place and then they become human. Um, whereas the Caribbean are so similar to humans, like apparently genetically that they actually ended up interbreeding with humans over time. And in ancient times, they were the inspiration for Greek gods and Roman gods and shit. Uh, right. Some of them are even named things like Artemis and Andromeda, uh, you know, and so we're, we're led to believe that, you know, those European mythologies are based on uh, the Caribbean interfering with the earth. Anyway, Fast forward thousands of years and you get the Caribbean who have intermarried and interbred with humanity and sort of really absorbed into the society over the years. The Daemonites, they've been trying to take over the world, trying to take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> like any good villain should. <laughs> exactly. But they do it from the shadows. You know, they work with the underworld. They work, you know, with like corrupt political figures. It's always like in the secret because they look like, you know, six armed bugs, basically. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So apparently this Marlowe guy is this like uh, aristocrat from this ancient uh, uh crash from this uh this alien race uh he we don't know if he's got powers or not i don't know that we ever really see him uh, you know spoiler warning later on you learn you know more about him but in the meantime he's got amnesia he doesn't know who he is he thinks he's some guy named jacob marlowe and this weird chrome lady void is telling him no no you have this like destiny to like save the world from the daemonites and for whatever reason he buys into it like he listens to her he believes her you know he doesn't remember for himself and he puts together this little like paramilitary strike force in private with his like you know billions he can do it all in secret he creates his own cat <laughs> um, right and uh and he he so he's got he has he pays this um this sort of underworld power broker called the gnome to find people for him and he found two descendants of the Caribbean. they're like hybrid guys that have superpowers there's maul and warblade maul m-a-u-l which i had to look up because i thought that meant doesn't that mean like you like hurt somebody you know like you tear them up like a, a bear would maul a person yeah um, Apparently, it also is the name for like a big hammer. Uh, uh, oh yeah, okay, like a warhammer. Yeah, there you go. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then there's warblade, which I did not have to look up the vocabulary of what that means. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Maul can become like a, a purple giant, but the bigger he gets, the dumber he gets. Warblade has the T1000 powers of turning himself into blades. <laughs> He's like liquid metal. <laughs> Wait, which, uh, I got I got a comment real quick. The the, the power yeah. for Maul, I always liked that. 
I I remember even as a kid thinking that's cool because and I've gone on record as saying the reason I've always been more of a Marvel fanboy than a DC fanboy is I like my heroes being flawed. I like them having some kind of definite weakness and the idea of like this big Hulk type character where it's like, yeah, he might become kind of invulnerable because he keeps getting bigger and stronger and bigger and stronger. But eventually he's going to go lunatic and turn on his on his friends because he can't think straight. And I was like, that's a cool idea. I like that. Yeah, it is. That's really cool. And, and it does that does happen in, in, in this in the miniseries. Yeah. Where it's like I, I and they never really explain it exactly. But I always just assume that like his brain doesn't grow with the rest of him. Yeah. You know? So it's like the bigger his body gets, the smaller his brain is like, uh, you know, comparatively. Yeah. And then he just becomes like a, you know, a, a dumb. He's dumb. And then the bigger <laughs> he gets, he becomes like an animal. You know, it's, it's yeah. all in, instinct. And yeah, uh, there's a scene where he just like rages and just destroys the whole building and can't tell the difference between, you know, friend and foe. Yeah. Um, but he's a cool character, right? So Maul and Warblade are working for Marlowe and Void, and then they have a fifth person who is Spartan. He's like the field leader. He's the soldier. But he's actually an android that is built based on plans that were found uh, for ancient you know, Karen soldiers, that the, the Karabim from the planet Kara, you know, they would fight with their superpowers, but they also had these this army of these flying androids, yeah. um, which is pretty cool, you know, and uh, I guess the idea of the Spartan, like the ancient Greek Spartans are, are actually named after those guys and not the other, other way around. So that's kind of a neat idea. Anyway, so these guys, they have, they have this like private war to defeat the Daemonites, at the same time, the Daemonite leader, they have their own like aristocratic lord who crash landed in their ship in South America thousands of years ago. And his name is Hellspont. And he's a Daemonite, but he's possessing – they never explained this in the miniseries, and I always questioned it, and I learned it later on, that he's actually possessing the body of another alien race. So he looks like he has like a green flaming head with like a black face that's made of wings. Um, yeah. And uh, so do you remember the character Photon from Youngblood, the guy oh, that yeah. had like the split like Wolverine head with like the fire? So mm-hmm. apparently Hellspont is that guy's alien race, but like a Daemonite possessing one of those guys. I never knew that. That's cool. Yeah, I learned that later on, like years later. I was like, that's kind of a neat idea. Um, but the point is that Hellspont looks like a comic book supervillain is what he looks like. He's got yeah. like a, a black <laughs> wing face with like claws and like weird, you know, uh, machinery on his suit and his head's on fire. He has a big like purple tattered cape and he looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> he looks real fucking cool. He was made for to be a toy, you know. <laughs> and and I have that toy still somewhere. <laughs> um, another vocabulary word I learned, Hellspawn, which – in the Daemonite lore, H-E-L, hell, is like, you know, the, the afterworld, whereas yep. H-E-L-L-E, in, in the, the Hellespond, is a river in the real world in Turkey that's like uh, near like ancient Troy. Um, and oh, I'm like, I didn't know that. See, I had to look that shit up and learn it because I'm like, what the fuck is a hellspont? Like, what does that even mean? Is it is he a hellspawn and they just spelled it weird? But it's like, right. weird, it's, a, it's a weird pun on like the river hellspont. <laughs> I shit, I learned something new today. <laughs> See, that's what's cool about the Wildcats is it made me like go to the library. <laughs> like for real. Exactly. Uh yeah, so Hellspawn has his own like secret team uh, of people doing his his own minions. They're called the Cabal. He has this guy called Pike, who's actually a Caribbean trader, uh, who he uh, who works for the Daemonites. He's like this real big, like beefy, like brawler type. Anyway, and 
they're trying to find some mysterious orb like ooh, is that the same thing that void had i don't know fucking know they never explain it uh, yeah, the, the MacGuffin orb <laughs> yeah the MacGuffin orb they want that because they want to power a machine with the orbs power that's like a giant teleporter so they can teleport warships from the planet daemon to the earth so that they can take over the earth once and for all and be done with it and of course the wildcats want to stop them and they converge at this nightclub where there is a so-called gifted one working that both sides want to get the gnome, the power uh, uh, or knowledge broker guy. He's like, Oh, you, you have to go get the gifted one. And he's selling information on both sides. Uh, and you know, the wildcats want to go get the gifted one. Cause they think, Oh, you know, we can recruit this person into our little army. Maybe she's, or he has caravan powers and the daemonites are thinking the same thing. But what they don't, what they know that no one else knows is that the gifted one has the power to see daemonites when they're in human form like she can tell the difference right uh, yeah so both teams converge on the on the nightclub turns out the gifted one is an exotic dancer named voodoo <laughs> which uh, i have to comment on so they they the, the the okay the dancers are arguing saying like i was supposed to wear the voodoo costume tonight so is her name voodoo or is the costume she's wearing called voodoo and she just goes with it for the rest of the series like i'm confused <laughs> i mean yes I, I guess i don't know <laughs> but you're right they never really explain it and we learn later on like after this initial four issue miniseries that yes she calls herself voodoo she's from new orleans you know there's a voodoo connection and um Whatever. I don't know. Maybe she's supposed to be Cajun or Creole or something or, you know, uh, I don't know what her connection is to New Orleans. They don't really. Eventually, Alan Moore writes the character and decides to give her like actual like, you know, mystical, like, you know, voodoo religious powers that have nothing to do with her original <laughs> appearance. But in her original appearance, she can see Damonites and she has that that uh, that like sexy pheromone power that a lot of you know, like <laughs> that, like mm -hmm. sexy characters in comics seem to have where it's like, oh, I can make you fall in love with me or, you know, get all hot and bothered because of, <laughs> because of course. Because, of course, because I'm a stripper, and so my power's making my job easier, I guess. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> who knows? She's Voodoo. She's, that's the, it's the worst name. I mean, I don't like Emp either, but Voodoo is just, like, unoriginal. I, I never, I never yeah. liked the name. I was always hoping they might, they might change it, but alas. I, I'm sorry. This time when, when I was reading it, in my head, all I could hear was, Voodoo? Voodoo? From the <laughs> Girl Squad? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is it Voodoo? Is it Voodoo? <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway, so, yeah. And then, oh, of course, there's a third faction. Here comes this, some mysterious gunslinger guy called the Grifter, who's there also looking for the gifted one for reasons we don't understand until much later. And uh, so now we have the Wildcats and the Daemonites and they attack and have a big action battle in this nightclub trying to both get voodoo who's just like ah i see demons and then this like uh, gunslinger guy pulls on his mask and tries to rescue her and then who comes along to save everyone's butt but zealot the ancient warrior from the planet kara who has lived on the earth thousands of years training people in the you know ancient martial arts of fighting with blades while wearing a thong <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> Turns out she's another survivor of the crashed Karen ship. She knows 
uh, Marlo, apparently from back then, he doesn't recognize her or remember her, but she does. And she's like, oh, Lord Emp, I found you. And it's like, ooh, mystery. Who the fuck is Lord Emp, you know? Right. <laughs> it turns out, yeah, she she started some kind of like, you know, a coda warrior assassin guild in like ancient Greece. That's like the Amazons basically is what that's supposed to be based on. You know, she's like the Wonder Woman of this team, except that she kills a lot of people with swords. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's basically how the story starts, you know, and then eventually, the, you know, uh, without getting into the whole plot, like, they, you know, they have to fight off against Hellspont and his minions and, like, get the orb away so they can stop this teleporter machine and, like, save the day, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's a fuckload of shit to do, to explain. <laughs> it really is. I was boring myself, and I wrote a, a lot more, and then I was like, you know, I can't even read this. I'm just going to have to summarize it off the top of my head because this <laughs> It's like a book report, man. <laughs> yeah, it's and it, it really is a lot. That's one thing I do want to say. Um, reading reading this old miniseries, there's there's a couple things that I I noticed because I also had recently reread the first couple of Spawn issues, and I have to say that back in the '90s, you really got a lot of bang for your buck. Like you were dropping two bucks on a comic, but you know what? You were going to be reading it for a while. Like they crammed a shitload of story. Into those, like, you know, however many, what, 22 pages, 24 pages. They crammed tons of story into that. So it's not like some of the uh, the, the Bendis days at Marvel where it was like everything was formatted for a six-issue run. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you might get an issue where it's like it looks pretty and there's some cool stuff, but you read it in five minutes because it's 90% silent. You know, it's like a lot of yeah. action scenes or a lot of, like you know, big, like sweeping, uh, you know, like big sweeping city scenes where it's like a character has one word balloon, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it wasn't like that. It was like a shitload crammed into every little panel. So kudos to, to them for that, because it really did feel like you were getting your money's worth. Um, but I, I, I got to comment a few things on the actual four issue miniseries. Now I, I love Jim Lee's art. We both know that absolutely adore the man's art, but there are a few things that I have to point out. The stances of the women folk are fucking hilarious. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> because there's a few pages where like Void is just talking and she's got her tits like thrust out, her ass thrust out and her arms like back. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, it's like some absurd yoga. Like, yep, exactly. <laughs> and then like there's a there's a scene with Zealot where she like does a flip and she lands in like this crab walk position where it's like, okay, allow me to be crass for a moment. I feel like if her, if she had done a split, she would suction cup to the floor the way she was. <laughs> like, it, was it was awful. So yeah. <laughs> there's a few moments where I'm looking at the women in these, in these books and I'm going like, dude, really? Like, I know it was the nineties, but really, but again, love Jim Lee. Not not knocking him. I just noticed a few things. Anytime someone gets hit in the face, their spine breaks because they bend so far back toward the reader. We see <laughs> right. their feet still firmly planted, but their head is completely upside down and now facing us. <laughs> like, yep. It's like, <laughs> how did they bend in that direction? That That's crazy. And the page layouts. Again, very dynamic. Very cool. But when it's just a bunch of exposition scenes and it's like these crazy like one really long all the way across the top of the page and then like 
one kind of diagonal and it was like it was weird layouts it was kind of driving me crazy trying to read it in a digital format <laughs> like and i know these weren't made mm-hmm. for digital format so but it was just it seemed like even when it didn't need to be dynamic the page layouts were like super dynamic and i was like all right I, 90s <laughs> i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the 90s. Yeah, what's funny too, you, you mentioned that there being so much story. All that shit that I said, I mean, maybe 90% of it happens in the first issue. Like, that's yeah. the first issue. I threw yeah. in a little bit of extra backstory and a little, a, a couple commentary notes here and there, but almost all of that is in the first issue. Nope. <laughs> that's fucking well, crazy how much they shoved in there. And then I, I have a few questions too. Like, are, are Grifter and Zealot code names or titles, much like Voodoo? Because they refer to them. As themselves as Grifter and Zealot. Um, like she says, like Brother Grifter and all that. But then people say the Grifter and the Zealot. So I'm like, yeah. is it a title? <laughs> no, I think, no, I think I think it's like people say like the Batman, which I think sounds stupid. You know, it's just more oh, of like, yeah. oh, it's that guy. You know what I mean? But gotcha. no, they're, they're just names. Yeah. In fact, the only one that isn't really a name is Spartan. Um, this existing android that we know of is the only one, but he's actually from a whole like you know uh, army of, yeah. of, Sp- of Spartan soldiers. And this particular one, which again we learn in the first issue, his they call him Hadrian Seven, like he's the seventh in like the Hadrian series. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there's a. <laughs> Why his name later becomes John and then Jack is a huge crazy ass story that happens later on that is like, <laughs> oh boy, somebody was smoking something. Holy shit. <laughs> that character became so complicated. I mean, I thought Shatterstar was complicated at Marvel, but holy crap, trying to figure out who the hell Spartan really is is just, <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> but yeah, but at this point it's just an android. Uh, a few few other things I, I want to comment on is um image really liked their hobos like they <laughs> yes. really do because like think about it the max hobo spawn hobo emp hobo <laughs> like it's like every didn't savage dragon like wake up and not know who he was too <laughs> like, on the on the very first page of the savage dragon he wakes up naked in a burning uh, vacant lot yeah <laughs> <laughs> like i feel like and don't get me wrong because i again love old image and i eat it up with a fucking spoon but it's just funny to me that there's like this pattern of, you know, like religious mythology in a lot of the, the books as well as hobos. <laughs> so. I always thought it was weird that there were so many little people, uh, you know, like yeah. short statured people. Not, not that there's a problem with it, but just like it just seemed like there was a disproportionately large number of them, you know, compared to other characters. And I'm like, yep. I, I, again, I'm not trying to disparage anybody. It just seemed kind of odd, you know, like yeah. right in this book alone, in the very first issue, there's two characters that are little people, both Imp right. and Gnome are both little people. Uh, yep. And then over in Youngblood, you had Kirby and Troll. And then yep. Cyberforce has a spinoff book called Strike Force, where there's a guy called uh, Black Anvil, who's like a little person. And Savage Dragons had a shitload of villains. The, the funniest one being low blow (laughs) (laughs) and hell even the clown from spawn is like a short little fat guy you know (laughs) you got the clown as well (laughs) just i don't know why they did that they were all these they were all these short like cigar chomping white-haired white dudes (laughs) why another thing and this isn't just uh to, to image this is like across the board early 90s comics and in a way, it's something I kind of miss. I love the crazy 90s tech. 
how it was like Mm -hmm. it was still rooted in reality. It was like it almost felt like it was taking place in an alternate version of of like our reality where it's like, yeah, everything, you know, and love is still here. Like, you know, there's still like cross colors and weird neon everything. But people have (laughs) laser guns instead of pistols and there's androids and hover cars like it was so weird. Like (laughs) what freaking up? Oh, my God. Uh, oh, my God. Dan Quayle. When Dan Quayle yeah. <laughs> whips out the laser pistol that looks like a robo penis, like, I couldn't stop laughing because I'm like, <laughs> of course the vice president has a robot gun. Why not? Yes. <laughs> like, well, and see, you mentioned something, too. Like, that's something else that happened in the first issue that I didn't even fucking bring up. Like, there's even more layers because, yes, all along, Hellspawn's cabal, one of the members of the of his, his cabal uh, group is a daemonite named Belial who has possessed the actual vice president of the United States and has been <laughs> feeding them like information using IO soldiers as like, you know, dupes and, and, uh, and pawns for, uh, for the cabal and somehow finds the orb that they're all looking for. And because yep. it was, it was in some like, you know, military facility somewhere apparently. And it's like, I didn't even mention that whole fucking subplot. That's actually pretty important to the story because there was so much other shit happening that I was trying to like get to the end of it. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I love that alternate reality. Cause like, I mean, X-Men was notorious for it too. Like they did it all up and down X-Men comics. I know they did it in like Batman and stuff like that where people had just like, this tech that did not exist, but they set it in a real world setting where somehow even my my 42 year old brain reading it is just like, yeah, that's cool. Like, I it doesn't take you yeah, out of the story. It looks really it's, cool. It's so strange how it works so seamlessly, but it just does. You know, and I love it. Yeah, I agree. I read I read an interview with Rob Liefeld uh, once. It's just from a, from a couple of years ago, but it was like, oh, that's why you did that. Like he shed some light on. Somebody asked him why did he always draw characters like Cable with these weird giant sci-fi cannons. That again, like you meant to your point, that later became like the total norm for guys like Jim Lee and Mark Silvestri and mm-hmm. the, the, all the image guys. It was like hardly anybody just drew guns that existed in the real world. I think Eric Larson was the only one who ever drew like an Uzi, you know, right. <laughs> uh, everyone else would just even even the grifter grifter is a gunslinger who has these weird like uh, like negative gravity guns that like knock people over like repulsor rays <laughs> like, they're yep. you know, they're like Iron Man like hand like gauntlets, you know, in like pistol form like so strange um but yeah rob liefeld said that you know he started he stopped drawing real weapons and started drawing these weird sci-fi guns he said at first it was because it was just easier than trying to do the research to learn what actual guns looked like i would just make it up and then the more i made it up the more fun it became and then he was like i felt better as as like an uncle a cousin a parent or whatever because like i'm not I'm not glorifying the use of firearms. I'm not having my characters go out there like the Punisher mowing people down with, you know, submachine guns. These are like weird sci-fi, you know, cannons that like knock people over. No one ever actually dies. So it's like, I felt better, you know, just drawing cool shit that looked badass, but no one kid's going to go out there in their neighborhood with like a giant, you know, plasma cannon and, and be be mistaken for carrying a real gun, you know? (laughs) Exactly. And that's cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's awesome. So let's jump into this a little bit more and talk about like what we would do now that we talked ad nauseum about what the Wildcats is <laughs> like, there's so much like uh, groundwork to lay. Um, 
so yeah, I, what I want to do is I want to say, okay, so this was a big thing in the nineties, you know, image comics was huge in the nineties. They became the number three comic book company in the world and they never let go of that, that ranking. You know, we had spawn in 1997 as a live action film. There were cartoons for Savage Dragon and Wildcats, almost young blood. We got a, we, we got like a little trailer that was pretty cool. Uh, mm. but the, yeah, again, shitloads of toys and trading cards and you name it, you know, media, uh, media like bull just running over the industry at the time. And I think the wildcats deserved better. They did make a movie once they made a gen 13 animated, uh, mm. gen, gen 13 being, you know, it was a spinoff title, uh, that came out a, a, a couple of years later. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately it, it eventually led to the down, uh, to the downturn of the whole company because they created it the this animated full-length feature with uh, help from disney they were partnering with i forget the name of the sub imprint that disney had going at the time where they were trying to make like animated films for like an older audience and they made this gen 13 film and then they shelved it they canned it and they'll, they're never ever ever going to release it because one of the main characters smokes cigarettes throughout the entire movie uh, and they were like, yeah, we're Disney. We can't do that. <laughs> oh, that's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Jim Lee lost like fucking $8 million or something on the movie because they never put it out. It's probably the reason why he sold his company to DC Comics because he probably was going bankrupt at that point. I know I would have. I lost oh. $8 fucking million. Seriously. Um, <laughs> so instead of creating an animated series about Gen 13, complete with Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers doing the voice of grunge. <laughs> Uh, instead, what if they put their money into like a live action, you know, film, like partnered with some Hollywood studio, you know, Spawn had like a $40 million budget, which I know isn't like a shitload, but like, no, they could raise, they could raise some money with a partner and do something with some, you know, some 90 CGI. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. They could totally plop this at new line. New line was picking up. Uh, comic book movies when no one else would, you know, they did the Ninja Turtles, which for the longest time was like the highest ranking independent movie, you know, for I don't know how many decades, um, <laughs> yep. you know, and then freaking Spawn, while it didn't do great, it did well enough, like they made some money back on their investment. I'm sure that, again, like paring it down and trying to fit it into 90s cinema New Line could have done that with a with a, 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 a modest budget. Yeah, I think you mentioning the, the turtles is fucking an eye opener because I didn't even think about that. That is an absolute perfect example of what we should do, because you know Spawn was a pretty simple uh, story to adapt to a movie. Not that it's a you know boring or simple concept, but it's a single no. character book. It's a book focused on a single character and his supporting cast and villains. And so you can make a movie that basically has three characters, you know, a supporting cast and spend your money on CGI and whatever sets you can build, you know, and you can, and, and spawn isn't a great movie. It's not terrible. I mean, no. for the money they had and the time and the technology, I thought, you know, they, they did pretty well, not great, but good. It was mainly the cast that saved that movie, but yeah. the, the, the the MacGuffin device in it is horrible, and the the plot what what it hinges on with uh with the whole like bomb pacemaker thing is just yeah. awful. Yeah, but, the story is terrible, but like the quality of the movie that they made, I thought yes. was was pretty good for the money and the time. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I think we could do something like that with, with Wildcats, like do a do a full length, you know, feature, but with the spawn sort of, you know, 
budget in mind and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles approach. When that approach was take all the fun stuff from the comic and the cartoon, you know, whatever people really want to see, kind of mash them up, cut out some things that are too expensive or too hard to explain, pare it down a little bit, you know, do our best to maintain the characters, but like simplify, you know, I think that that's probably the way to go. I totally agree. Now with that in mind, um, let's pretend we don't have a budget and fan cast this thing. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, because they're, they're going to spend 80% of the budget on the on the cast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, but again, thinking, you know, this is going to be 95, 96, 97, you know, there were some of the characters that or the actors that I put on my fan cast are definitely expensive, you know, by 97 probably, but yeah. Oh. Eh, well, we can get in there a little early, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> I, I have a few on here that would probably wreck the budget three times over. Um, <laughs> why, why, don't we, why don't we start with one of those? Why don't you pick pick one of your, like, who's the big fish? Well, okay. I'll well, we'll just go with Maul, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. That That is not the direction I went in. But, yeah, of course. Yeah. That, Ar- Ar- Arnold would take $39 million of the $40 million budget. <laughs> Plus, I was thinking, like, how fun would it be to then figure out Wildcats into our Arnieverse? But anyway. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's good. So, okay, I'll tell you my mall. I went in a completely different direction. Like, wow, I'm not sure if it could get any more different and still be the same, like, you know, gender. Um, (laughs) So, because I was thinking, again, how do you film a character who can become a literal giant while also changing his skin color as he grows, you know? And then have that make sense in the context of like other characters who you still want to see on a camera, you know, who are six feet tall. Now you can do that with, you know, the brief scene of Ant-Man as giant man and make it work. But like, that's, you know, 2020s or 20, you know, teens CGI, that's not 1996 CGI. So I was thinking more of like, what if we just had Maul not become a giant? We pare it down to, he goes from like regular size, like maybe six feet to maybe he's 12 feet hulked out. You know, he's a Mm -hmm. purple Hulk, basically a purple Hulk, you know? Uh, And I think you could do that with forced perspective, a little bit and like a practical suit, you know? Uh, so I was not so concerned about the, the special effects because we'll leave that up to the special effects wizards. And I was thinking more of like, who who's a good actor to play the character's personality, both smart and dumb. And I went with Brendan Fraser, the fucking darling. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. OK, yeah. No, he would be perfect. He, yeah, no, absolutely. He would be perfect. And I, and I love him. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, he, he's awesome. He would be great in the action scenes. You know, we don't get to see it too much in the miniseries, but he was always like the the, the comedic relief, too. You know, he was always keeping it light, you know, and yeah. I think Brendan Fraser would do that while still like look badass with his, all of his teeth showing when he's screaming, you know, and right. beat well, the shit out of people. <laughs> does that multiple times in the mummy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You guys did the mummy episode, of the book events closet. And I was kept picturing that when Brendan Fraser is yelling, it's like, you see every tooth in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Oh man. Okay. So I'll start off with one. Then I'm going to go with the basics. I'll go simple. We talk about J- Jacob Marlowe uh, a lot. So I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Danny Woodburn, 
who, if you're not familiar with Danny Woodburn, he's a little person actor. You would know him because he's in Seinfeld. He's in The Watchmen. Yep. He's in Jingle All the Way. I love him because he's in Death the Smoochie. I fucking love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he plays Mickey on Seinfeld, which is probably the yeah. role that most people know him from. You know, it's funny because I almost went with him. Okay. But I was thinking I, – I was going more with the acting chops. Like that was the, the thing that was in my head. And not that he doesn't have acting chops, but I went Warwick Davis because I, I love him. Yeah, you, you can't not love Warwick Davis. I had him, I had that window open on IMDb. I was looking at him today going, mm, I don't know. I had it down to like three guys. And I was like, you know what? I think Danny Woodburn has the look. He, he, yeah. yeah. Especially when you think, think of him as, as big figure in the Watchmen movie with the cigar, just mm-hmm. looking like a, ba- like, a, like a badass who's been around the corner a bunch of times. Like, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, I could definitely see. Honestly, I could see either one of them pulling it off because yeah. I was thinking cleaned up, you know, Emp where he's like, you know, CEO type thing. Like I, I yeah. can see Warwick pulling that off. Um, definitely. OK, well, for Gnome, uh, speaking of staying with the little people, yep. I went uh, Phil Fondacaro, who we would know he's um, he's the, the bad guy in uh, Bordello of Blood. He's okay. in a bunch of Tales from the Crypt stuff. He was uh, the little crime boss dude in Land of the Dead. Um, he's like he's always a villain mm-hmm. <laughs> in like yeah. every fucking movie. And I love the guy. He's he's in so many good horror movies. Yeah, he's in a ton of stuff. And he's one of those guys who's just always like in when there's little people in a movie like in Star Wars, Return of the Jedi or like Willow, like he's always one of those guys, you know? Yep. Uh, he, yeah, he's constantly working. Yeah, he, for sure. He was he was the Dracula in the creeps. In the oh, movie. nice. <laughs> Okay, I really like that choice a lot. I 100% I love that. I was a little bit uh, prejudiced because I I looked up a picture of the gnome, thinking I I had it in my head. But I was like, oh, let me like match the face, you know, because I'm like I don't know. And when I googled it, uh, the the DC fandom website was like, oh, he's a power broker from Iran, and I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't realize he wasn't, you know, like a Caucasian guy, you know, like a white mm-hmm. guy. So then I thought that, that'd be an interesting opportunity to put like a person of color in the movie because we don't have a lot of those. <laughs> the Wildcats are yeah. While created by two Korean guys, they are very white. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know? they are very white. I always assumed that Voodoo, you know, had was darker, you know, she had a darker complexion of some kind, but like they yeah. never really talked about like what her background was. But yeah, so I went with Deep Roy just because I'm like, he's in fucking everything. Yeah. He fits, you know, he's not from Iran, but he fits you know, the personal color role. I, I, but I like I like Phil Fondacaro better. He's a good choice. I, I'll be honest. I looked at Deep Roy as well, but I was like, I just I love Phil as a villain. Like I, I've seen him so many times playing a villain and he's so good. So really good. That's a really good choice. Well, cool, cool. You, you mentioned Voodoo. Who who was your pick for Voodoo? Oh man, that's the one I spent the most time on. <laughs> trying to figure it out. So I, I have one I like, but go ahead. Okay. I have I have what I think is the obvious choice for the time, and then I have the one that I like really the two that I think would be interesting, right? Okay. So I thought okay, again, person of color. It's a pretty white book. Let's get someone, you know, with a darker complexion. Um, and I'm also I always like to look for people who aren't action stars and let them be in an action movie, like have them do like an action breakout hit, you know. Right. Uh, and for, as I'm 
Googling around looking at like actors of the 90s, Will Smith came up and I thought, yes, that's a really good example of like he was a rapper, he was a comedian, a TV actor, and then he becomes a big action movie star. Right. So I was like, oh, you know, what would be really cool if you took Karen Parsons, who played Hillary Banks on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and let her be voodoo. And she can do that whole that whole uh, what's that what's that chick's name from uh, from Showgirls? And she, she did that whole like, you know, turn toward, right. you know, like the sexy, edgy role, you know. <laughs> OK, OK, I can see that. You said you said you had another one for it. Too? So the one I thought was the obvious choice was uh, probably Lisa Bonet. I that's, think had like, the look, right? That's who I picked. Yeah, there you go. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, she has the look. I mean, yes, yeah, she had. I mean, I guess she has the acting chops. Like, I, I mean, I don't know if you've seen Angel Heart. I'm not a big fan of that movie, but um, yeah, she's all right. Yeah, she's not she's not bad, but she definitely has the look. And I'll, I'll be honest, I've had a crush on her since I was a kid. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I was like. Yeah. Okay, that works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I like I, I like Lisa Bonet. Yeah, but I was like, I don't know. Like, again, the acting chops. I, I feel like she looks bored all the time when she's in a movie. You know. But, true, uh, but yeah, uh, she Voodoo really has only had look. to look. Voodoo only had to look scared and sexy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so. she, she, yeah, she doesn't do much else, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. So I think you're up first next. Who's your next one? Well, well, since we did Maul, let's go with Warblade. Um, I, I think, I, again, I'm a little on the nose with this one. Maybe it's because, like, the Wildcats isn't uh, as much my cup of tea as it is yours. So I, I, I feel like I put maybe a little less effort into this fan cast. But Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think I went there, too. I think it, it's the obvious one. Mm-hmm. It definitely makes sense. It works, I think. You know, he's got the physicality. Um, I went the route of who's cool? You know, and someone because I'm also thinking with Grifter and Spartan, you have these like chiseled jaw kind of guys. Yeah. And I wanted somebody who wasn't that. And yet Jean-Claude Van Damme definitely fits the bill. Um, I went with Keanu Reeves. Oh, in the 90s, like speed era, Keanu Reeves, you know, pre-Matrix. But he's just like a cool dude. And even though we don't get to see it much, uh, Warblade in his like human persona is supposed to be a pretty cool guy. He's actually like the main character of the cartoon. You know, what's funny is I didn't put Keanu Reeves for him. I almost picked him for somebody else. I almost picked him for Spartan, but I ended okay. up going with someone completely different for Spartan. Um, I, for Spartan, I went with Val Kilmer. Oh yeah. Oh, that's a great choice. That's a great <laughs> choice. I love that one. I was like nineties Val Kilmer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That, I, I mean, that's, Batman Forever era Valkyrie. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. He's. I. I went with. I'm. I was thinking who. Who is a soldier-looking guy, but also like you know, young and sexy, and like Voodoo would fall for him because creepily that happens later on, mm-hmm. <laughs> even even though he's it, an android. It's a Wandavision <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I went with Casper Van Dien. Yeah, <laughs> that's Starship awesome. Troopers era Casper Van Dien. You know, what's funny is I was I almost went back and put him on this list <laughs> because I'm I'm currently working on the Sleepy Hollow notes for uh, Boogeyman's Closet as, oh, at nice. the time of this recording. <laughs> and he plays Brom in Sleepy Hollow. And I was like, oh, yeah. shit, he would be good in that Wildcats fan cast. Yeah. And like, But I didn't go back and put him in. But that's funny. <laughs> like, you, you know, who almost uh, also alongside Keanu Reeves, who I was debating on for Spartan was Guy Pierce. Oh, he'd be really good, yeah. Because again, he's got that jaw, and yep. it, '90s guy Pierce, like, yeah, he 
he's he has that that look. Um, but I still I, Val Kilmer was the one that beat him out for me. Yeah, for sure. Man, Guy Pearce would make a good like shaft from Youngblood too. Shit. Yeah, he would. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I like both those. Two. I like Val Kilmer and I like Casper Van Dien. I think those are both good picks. Um, okay, so let's go with the next, uh, the other you know handsome looking guy on the on the group, the other <laughs> chiseled uh, man of man of machismo. Yeah, Grifter. So this was the one where I saw a picture in a, a later Wildcat series of an older Grifter, and I, for some reason I think maybe he was just drawn to look like this celebrity. But I thought, oh, that's fucking Brad Pitt. That's Brad Pitt. Okay. See, now I almost went there uh, as well because I was like, you know, obviously Brad Pitt, blonde hair, you know, it works, um, the pretty boy thing. But I was also like, I don't know. I feel like in the 90s, he was too pretty for this um, to be like the the rough mm-hmm. and tumble action guy. Okay. And then I remembered I remembered Kurt Russell from Soldier. Oh, he was really good in that. Yeah. And I was sure. like. Kurt Russell, like as a gunslinger, again, 90s, he's he's a little mm-hmm. bit older, but he wasn't super old yet. Mm-hmm. And like he was in like he was in pretty peak physical condition in like the the mid to late 90s. And I'm like, I could see him kicking ass and taking names. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm I'm picturing him in Stargate and I could see yeah. that as the grifter. And even see, and originally I was going to be like, oh, no, he's maybe a little bit too old. And, you know, Brad Pitt was a little bit younger at that time. But then I thought, hang hang on a second. Again, we don't know this in this miniseries. But what we discover later on is that grifter, his, whose real name, by the way, is Cole Cash, which is stupid as hell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and his, he has a brother named Max Cash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, so dumb. It's so dumb. Yeah, but what we find out is that Cole Cash is actually really old because he um they never actually come out and say it's Vietnam, but he basically was in Vietnam and he was in a, a like a like a black ops team his own cat years and years ago with the uh, the character John Lynch, who's the leader of IO now, the guy with the weird robotic eye. Um mm-hmm. So they're actually the same age, even though Lynch is drawn to look a lot older, like he's more of a Clint Eastwood looking type. I did, uh, but yeah, it, so it actually kind of does make sense in terms of the age. Okay. All right, all right, all right. So that leaves. Well, since we're on the grifter kick, Zealot. She's the other the other big hitter. Who's your Zealot? <laughs> this is the one that I'm like, I don't fucking know who I'm gonna pick. Um, because quite honestly, like I was trying to find an Asian actor. To, mm. to play her and i couldn't find anyone from that era that i thought fit the bill okay. um so then i was like okay action stars of the 90s that were just badass women who like i could see beating the shit out of a lot of people and i went linda hamilton okay yeah always a good choice for kick-ass uh, action female lead um it's interesting that you mentioned Asian because as soon as you mentioned that, I'm thinking like, fuck, like Lucy Liu from Kill Bill would have fucking fit so well. But in know? the 90s, she was too young because like yeah, I, I exactly. thought that too. And I looked at her mm-hmm. in that era and I'm like, oh, this. Yeah, no, she's it, it, I don't think that would have fit the character at all. Yeah, and this is actually the first one that I thought of off top of my head without like, you know, looking anything up. Uh, and I thought Natasha Henstridge from fucking oh. Species and the Terminatrix. I could definitely. Oh yeah, I could definitely see that. Okay, yeah, yeah no, I like that one. Yeah, I like them both. I like them both, but yeah, I was going cuz she especially as the Terminatrix, like that that's like zealot with guns, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, who did you pick for Void? 
That was the one where I was like, I don't know, it could kind of be anybody, <laughs> right? Honestly, <laughs> because she's so emotionless. Uh, yeah. You know, the, she, she's really just, you know, she just has to have a good body because she, her whole body is just like a chrome silhouette with an emotionless face and be able to. Uh, she needs to, her her emotion needs to be like ominous dread, coming fear, and it's like so you can't you can't cast a bad actress because then they're just going to like overdo it and like it looks it'll be just so cheesy you know so you have to have a person who's a real actor but you don't want to like you know cast it can't be your biggest star because it's like a minor character you know so it's like i i don't know honestly but i think the person that i think has the right face for it because that's all you see (laughs) avoid is like a little bit of her face i think nicole kidman is the face uh, okay. but, but I actually put Uma Thurman as the choice for like the level of celebrity that she was in at the time. Yep. See, I actually, it's funny. I actually picked Uma Thurman for someone else. Um, but I went Sigourney Weaver and here's, and here's why, because okay. she can do that cold calculating emotionless type character really fucking well. And I, again, I was thinking because of the budget, these, we wouldn't see these characters rocking the costumes again, we didn't start seeing the the uh, superhero costume stuff until MCU era comic book movies. Yeah. Um, prior to that, it was like if we saw the costume, it was ridiculous. Like, OK, outside of Batman and Superman, we obviously saw those costumes. But like, you know, uh, freaking like Blade, he was just like trench coat. You know, stuff. Spawn was it looked completely different. Yeah, the costumes were always redone for movies like they yeah. weren't comic book accurate so i figured if anything like void would be more like almost robotic but maybe just wearing regular clothes you know like i i maybe she would have like the like her hair would be like she would have something over her head like that head sock thing that was popular in the 90s (laughs) yeah Um, they all wore those (laughs) maybe she would have that so it would look like she was bald or maybe they would just put a fucking skull cap on her or have her shave her head she did it for alien 3 why not um but I just feel like she could she could pull that character off really well. Yeah, no, I definitely that, that's a good choice. Yeah, she's done some really good like voiceover work too. Um, yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, and I think that's a good, you make a good point to the budget too. If she in the comic book she's like chrome head to foot except for a little piece of her face that shows. But yeah, yeah. That, that'd be an interesting look if she had even if it was like this head sock thing that had like that was you know metallic but then you just she had clothes on over top of it you know maybe she had some kind of like a flight suit or you know yeah. mil- military gear or something that she would wear because you know and actually i'm going to back up for a second because you had mentioned something before we get back to the fan cast you had mentioned something at one point where it's like uh and maybe it was before we started talking or recording but th- this team has like a fucking blackbird jet or some version <laughs> yeah. of it right like the fucking <laughs> x-men Right. That they fly into battle. But I'm like, they they don't need that. That's one way we can chop a huge chunk of the budget out because they have a character on the team who is literally a teleporter whose job is to like take them into the action and then pull them out. You know, like that's her whole she is, (laughs) you know, she's drop off and evac all by herself. So, yeah, she's going to be at least in the field of battle enough to drop them off that she should you know, be prepared for that. So, yeah, I think some kind of a suit would make sense. Absolutely. Um, okay, so let's let's get on to the villains here. Who who do you have for for Hellspawn? Okay, this was probably the hardest one. <laughs> like, well, I think Void was the one I was like, I don't fucking know. But Hellspawn, I'm like, man, it, it could be so many people. And see, and this is another place to have a note about the budget because it's like you can't have the villain, the main villain of your movie, with a flaming head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
is even if they're only in a couple of scenes, they have to at least be in the big finale. And this is the 90s. You know, the Ghost Rider couldn't do a great flaming head years later. So, like, you're not going to get one in 1996. You know, no. if you're if you're going to have a if you're going to have any kind of flaming skull, it has to be in like one scene where like he powers up for the final battle. You know, yep, exactly. <laughs> like fucking Skeletor, <laughs> you know. Um, so I'm thinking he needs to be. And forget the whole thing where he's like possessing another alien. We just have him possess a human, yep. but may, maybe maybe he's he has to look different in some way. Like maybe he's been possessing the human that he has his host for so long that it's like it's starting to like you know come apart a little bit. Like you can see his alien eyes. Maybe you know he's got his suit in the costume has these weird like tiger stripes on it. Maybe those stripes are like on his skin, like they're cuts and burns and bruises because his body is like falling apart. But he just he he just likes it. He likes it so much because he's John Travolta. Ah, okay. You know, and, and that's a really good pick. Um, I was thinking mainly voice. Um, and again, villain. Trying to find that like, who can do a great villain? Because uh, I think a lot of his look is going to be covered. Yep. Yep. I went Gary Oldman. Okay. Um, yeah. Because yeah. it, and it's that voice. I can picture him giving the big villain soliloquies. You know, like with. <laughs> But I've pictured for for the look, instead of having the the blue flaming, you know, like split head, like take the the look of the black skull, have him wearing like a full a full mask, like a full head, like a helmet. That's yeah. Like picture the black mask from um the Birds of Prey movie. Yeah. Okay. So, I love it. Yeah. Like that, a bl- a black skull, and then maybe have him. I don't know. Put contacts in him or whatever. So, and it's funny because you mentioned the whole body falling apart. I was thinking he would have like blue contacts, like full, like covering his eyes. So he'd have like the blue eyes, and then yeah, in the one power up scene, you could do a fucking practical effect mm-hmm. where you actually do, you know, have a stunt man in there do a yeah. fire stunt where the head lights up color it blue in post and then, you know, have that just be the one scene where he has the flaming blue head. Um, but I kind of pictured him like almost in like a suit, very much like the black mask. Sure. But, yeah. you know, underneath the suit, having like the weird robotic tubes and shit like that. Yeah. So like in the final scene when they're fighting, you know, you, you would see all that weird, like alien tech underneath his suit. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I I like that we were both kind of on the same page with paring down the flamey head because it's the 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. No, I love Gary Oldman. I, I, see, I, I picked John Travolta because he's he's big and Hell's Bond's kind of like a big dude. Um, and also because you know, in, in like Face Off and like Broken Arrow, man, he was just loving that villain speech. You know, he was oh, just yeah. chewing it up, having a great time with it. Uh, but, but I do think that Gary Oldman just has a better sounding voice for it um but you know actually it's kind of a neat idea that since you mentioned like the robotic parts and i was talking about maybe he's some kind of a body he's had for a long time you know it'd be really interesting since in the comic he possesses an alien body not a human what if in this he possesses a spartan android body and that's why it's like kind of robotic and like his eyes are kind of glowing and different because he's had maybe like you know when they crash landed that fucking ship 3000 years ago, you know, he, he went and found the other ship and got one of those like broken androids out of it. And that's what he's been living in all this time. Oh, I like that. That's that cool. would be a cool little twist. Yeah. I dig that. Yeah. I like it. That's a good idea. Cool. All right. Sweet. Yeah. I like it. Gary Oldman. Let's, let's go for it. 
cool. Especially, and Gary Oldman, too, he's the kind of actor where he's not so vain that he wouldn't wear a mask the whole time. You know, he oh, would. Yeah. Shit, in Red Dragon. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. Was, at that point, he was like, his star was well beyond on the rise. Like, everyone knew Gary Oldman at that time. And he was like, yeah, fucking cover my face completely so no one knows who the hell I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's, he's done all kinds of good, like, you know, makeup acting roles. So he's not afraid to, to he's not so, uh, so egotistical. Like, I, John Travolta would be like, no, I'm not wearing that fucking mask. <laughs> exactly. He'd be like, let me see my, let me see my face. I want to smile. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, so I, okay. Let's, I'm, at this point, I'm not sure who we really have left. Like what choices you would have made. Cause I, I have Pike McCoy, Devin, and I'm going to probably say this wrong. Hesita. Is that how you say it? Oh, the Hestia. Oh, so you cast, you ca- yeah, you cast the, uh, the Coda. Okay. I did not yeah. cast the Coda warriors, uh, Hestia and Devin. Um, I cast Pike, John Lynch and Attica from the uh, the the triad or the troika. The, See, I, I left them out. <laughs> yeah, which they probably should be left out of the movie because they would just be too fucking much. But I, the reason I I picked Attica is and and for anyone who is listening who might not know, but there is a villain team that shows up at one point in the book. They're mercenaries who Hellspot hires because Hellspot has his whole cabal of like evil like corporate leaders and corrupt politicians and whatnot. But in terms of like super powered characters, he has these coda assassins trained by zealot years ago that he's hired and then he's got pike who's like the carabim uh turncloak um but at one point he hires the what they're called the triad they later changed the name to the troika i guess jim lee had some legal issue with the name um and uh there's there's attica slag and harm but slag is a giant dude made out of like lava and harm is a giant you know like gundam robot so i just thought fuck it just take attica out of that team and then you have this like super tech mercenary guy who's like half man half machine and he's like it's just him and pike and hellspawn and boom that's your cabal okay with maybe one of the coda warriors thrown in well who did you pick for pike uh oh so for pike I had three names written down. I had the one that I wanted, the one that I thought would be a cool 90s twist, and then the one they probably could afford. <laughs> I, I, um, I only have one. <laughs> okay. So the one I want is Wesley Snipes. Yep, that's that's the one I got. There you go. <laughs> I went Demolition Man, Wesley Snipes, done. Done. That's it, right? But then later I was like, yeah, but he was a big fucking star at the time. So... Well, I had some a few minutes to kill. I was like, I think Larry Lawrence Fishburne, like pre Matrix, would probably like could afford him, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then, but then as far as like, hey, it's the '90s. You cast Jean Claude Van Damme. What if they put fucking Dennis Rodman in the role as Pike? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, his he's such a bad actor. <laughs> I know it'd be so terrible. Oh no, that but is Wesley Snipes. Funny, Wesley Snipes is the right choice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, what got? about, do you have, you, did, I'm sorry, did you have McCoy? No, I forgot all about McCoy. I didn't really do too many of the, uh, like backup or like supporting characters. I, um, I, I only had McCoy cause I figured he would play into the plot. Sure. Um, yeah. Who'd you do for McCoy? Christopher Walken. Oh yeah. That's a good choice. That's yeah, a good I, choice. I feel like he's basically just going to be doing a lot of talking mm-hmm. and like kind of plot exposition. So I'm like, yeah, Walken. Yeah, for sure. In all honesty, even though you had mentioned Kurt Russell as Grifter and I didn't have him on my list, I think if had I had McCoy on my list, I would have picked Kurt Russell for McCoy. Uh, but I, de- yeah. I definitely like Walken for sure. It also makes sense because of the whole like thing connection. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
But like, as far as the two Coda Warriors, I had Uma Thurman and Demi Moore. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? I had Demi Moore on my list next to Voodoo with like question mark striptease movie. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, that's actually what put her on my radar. As I'm like striptease, no, I, she's not right for that character. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, Uma Thurman. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I probably should have cast. I think it's Devin is the one who like blows up the nightclub at the end of the first episode. Yeah, or issue. That's why I had uh, Uma Thurman as. Yeah, that's that's a good choice. Yeah, the only other character that I had cast was John Lynch, the leader of IO, who is a pretty minor character in this story. He becomes important in Gen Thirteen in the comics later, but you have the you have you have these like the government presence, and in this case, I think any movie we do. You can have your supervillains, but you have to have like your fodder characters. And in this yeah. case, I think of the IO as like they're the government agency. The Hellspawn has been manipulating through the vice president and right. he's tricking John Lynch into like helping him. But then, you know, obviously when John Lynch figures out who he is and John Lynch himself has like a superhero background. So as soon as he realizes Damonites, fuck this, I'm out, you know, he's going to switch sides and like, you know, give the edge to, to the Wildcats. Um, right. So I, I cast Chris Cooper as John Lynch. Okay, I can see that. Definitely. I, I was thinking because he's got that like uh, like uh, Clint Eastwood kind of vibe, but I think Eastwood would have probably been a little bit too old even in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> he would have been complaining. Oh, it's a fucking comic book movie. Yeah. Get off my lawn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but no, Cooper in the nineties, he's that he definitely was the right age to play like the kind of grizzled, uh, you know, government operative. Yeah, um, I was thinking of his character from American Beauty. Yeah. yeah, yeah, perfect. That is perfect. Um, so okay, well, I, I'll tell you why I didn't cast a lot of the the extras because, like, as far as plot line goes, this is what I was thinking. Tell me if you're kind of on the same page. Uh, of boiling down the miniseries to its to its bare bones, like to the basics. Alien invasion. They're infiltrating, you know, Earth. Basically, coming to Earth. I don't want to have like a big uh, armada coming in. Maybe the portal is literally just opening a portal to their home world, allowing the the Daemonites to come in and possess Earthlings. Um, okay, and yeah. the, the Wildcats, you know, yeah, they could be like a group of ex-operatives or, you know, government operatives or whatever, however you want to do it. You could explain the backstory if we want to. But the thing I was thinking of is almost like the Men in Black, like where they're just they're a group that knows this is happening and they're trying to stop it. You know, and nobody else is, is everyone is none the wiser. Like the rest of mankind doesn't know this is happening behind the scenes. Um, and again, the linchpin would be finding voodoo because she can spot them. So yeah. they mm-hmm. need someone that can that can see these creatures. And, you know, obviously Grifter, Zealot, Maul and Warblade would rip the shit out of them. Um, <laughs> right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe Marlowe is his whole thing is he's funding the operation. Maybe. You know, I don't know how we want to explain his backstory, why he's funding it and who Void is and all that. If we need to even explain any of that beyond, you know, hey, this is what we do. We're a team of superpowered individuals, blah, blah, blah. You know, and obviously Voodoo would be the point of view character. That would be our entry as the audience into this world of crazy alien possession and invasion. Yeah, I think that that's the right the right approach too. And Voodoo was a little bit of the point of view character in the comic series. It jumped around a little bit. What they did in the animated series, I thought was a good idea, is they picked Warblade as the point of view character, which I wouldn't do, but I like the idea of take a character who's not on the team and mm-hmm. 
use that character to have Zealot and, and Marlo and Spartan, they explain everything to that character, right? So we get that's how we're right. gonna get all the backstory. It's I thought picking Warblade was a strange choice for the comic and they just had Voodoo just there because maybe like putting a strip club into like a kid's cartoon was something they wanted to <laughs> avoid. Yeah, I can see that. I, I can see that. Um, yeah, and so what they did in the cartoon is they had that they had it that yeah the where Marlo was trying to put his team together and he's like I need like one more guy and they sensed like oh there's a carabim nearby somewhere and we're gonna find him and then oh shit we accidentally gave it away and the demonites know he's a carabim they're trying to, they're gonna try to kill him and we gotta get to him first you know so it's a very similar concept I want to combine some of the factions right because we've got Marlo and the Wildcats in the comic and it's his like four or five guys and then you have like Grifter and Zealot doing their own thing which mm-hmm. there was a zero issue that came out later on that explained I, I a little that too yeah yeah so you got a little bit of the backstory on like Zealot and Grifter and that like as to like why they were there at the club and blah 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 um uh but so they're their own faction and then you've got John Lynch and the IO crew Right. So that's another faction. Of, so, so far, it's like three good guys, basically. And then right. you've got Hellspawn and his cabal and various guys like there's Dakota and the, the triad mercenaries. And it's, and, and then the, oh, and then the gnome is the one I, I, I don't know why I blanked for a second. Like, what's that guy's name? The fucking gnome, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's like it's just it's too much. Right. So I say, fuck that. The gnome is a cool character. And Phil Fondacario is a good actor. I don't know that he needs to be anything more than like a cameo where, you know, you we have a scene maybe at the beginning of the movie. We open up with some mysterious uh, transaction happening, you know, between right. some mysterious like, you know, a guy with whose face is in shadow is like going to like the underworld, you know, information power broker and is going to trade him for, you know, I need I need the orb. Tell me who's got it and I'll trade you whatever the fuck, you know, and then that's about all you really need. Um, yeah, because it would it, it's just too many characters, you know, but yeah, so you I think the MacGuffin of like we have to get the power orb. He's like, here it is. Or I know the guy who's got it. Who's got it? Oh, it's the it's the vice president. Oh, shit. You know, whatever. You know, and then um that kind of sets off the story of like some creepy mysterious guy in a mask is like looking for this like, you know, alien battery. Um, then we can, then we can kind of put that in the background for a little while, you know? Um, but I think, uh, I think the idea of combining Marlo and IO together makes sense. Like forget that they has his own like corporation. It doesn't make any logistical sense in the comic anyway. It never fucking did. So like, like, he owns a giant corporation with a skyscraper in New York. Like who works for this guy? He's got to have a thousand employees. Like, what did they do? You know, right. exactly. <laughs> so it's like, fuck that. I, I say we just have Marlo who he's got amnesia, but he knows Lynch and he's been working in like black ops for a while. And then, you know, Again, maybe in, in the in the second scene where it's like now we're gonna set shit up. First there's the orb, and then there's the like, oh no, the orb has been stolen, and then Void, this crazy chrome lady, just shows up in like the middle of the like the I.O. offices, like teleports in, and she's like, You, you know, like you've been prophesied to like, you know, to fulfill your destiny as the you know, Lord of the Carabim and save us from the Daemonite invasion. And then John Lynch and Jack Marlowe or Jacob Marlowe are both like, the fuck? You know? <laughs> <laughs> But not because not because they don't believe her, but because they're just like, where did this come from? But then they listen to her and they're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense because these are like government uh, black ops espionage leaders who have been secretly waging like a super human war, you know, for years or, you know, maybe not war. They've been protecting the, the U.S., you know, from superhuman threats and keeping it secret. And there's been a rash of these weird like 
you know, possession cases that they can't quite figure out, you know, like, uh, and now it's happening in like, you know, in the government, like now it's in the vice president's office, like the vice president's aide, like we found his like empty shell in his office one day, you know, and they're <laughs> trying to figure out like what the fuck is going on. Right. And then this weird Chrome lady shows up and it's like, she's like, you have to fulfill your destiny, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then, but, but then what you get is you get to have in, instantly. It's like, cool, Marlo, whatever he goes along, he believes the story. Or maybe she does that thing where she's like, you know, let me put my, my hand on your forehead and, and show, show you. you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Right. So then he's on board, but now it's like, cool. IO. Great. Well, We've been waging a, you know, a secret superhero, you know, strike force for years. So we've already got Maul. We've already got Warblade, you know, and maybe Lynch is like, I'm going to call up my old buddy Grifter and bring him out of retirement or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, then it's like instant team. Spartan's already there, you know, uh, and, and they could even explain that, you know, maybe, maybe Marlo's even like, this makes a lot of sense. Like now I know where, where that weird Android body we found in that spaceship wreck came from, <laughs> you know, right. whatever, right. Some shit like that. <laughs> I think the only character that you have kind of come in later is Zealot. I think it'd be interesting if, you know, in, in the middle of this war against the Daemonites, here comes this like crazy martial arts swords lady out of, out of nowhere and and have everyone be like, who the fuck is this? You know, well, and then and I, I think it would be cool if, if it was against the other Coda. You know oh, yeah. Like if like they were getting their asses handed to them by like some demonites or Daemonites and, um, Freaking, I keep wanting to say deadites, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. and, and, and the two Coda warriors and then in comes fucking zealot like out of the shadows and starts kicking ass and taking names. Like, I think that oh, would be yeah. cool. That would be a cool introduction scene. Oh, that'd be. Oh, actually, I love that, too. Right. So, yeah, we do that thing where it's like Void shows up, right, gives uh, Marlo the memories back. And then he and Lynch are going to kind of like, OK, let, 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 let's assess our resources. Who do we have on deck? You know, call up Maul, call up Warblade, you know, right. And, uh, and then, yeah, we do the same thing with Lynch is like, ah, we need some more guys. Like, I'm going to call I'm going to call my buddy Grifter from the old Team Seven days and bring him out of retirement. And then, yeah, you know, we show that little, you know, he that little interaction with Grifter where he's like recruiting him. And for some reason, Grifter just says yes really fast, you know, and Lynch mm-hmm. is like, hmm, that was easier than I thought, you know. And then and then you see Grifter, you know, he's got some mysterious companion where he's like, you know, you know, uh, they found her or like, you know, they're on to, you know, they, the, the, the Daemonites are making themselves known where it's like, oh, shit, this Grifter guy already knew what was going on. You know, right. He was, he was already in on to this battle against the Daemonites. And so maybe when yeah, a little bit later on, like maybe when they get to that nightclub, which has to happen kind of early in the movie because we got to get voodoo. Like this is our first action sequence, you know? Right. Right. So we get to that club. They're going to get they're going to get voodoo because they heard that there's like, you know, um, you know, the the same power broker gnome guy. You know, we have one more scene with him and he's selling information at both sides. And he's like, oh, I heard there's this, you know, chick with these weird abilities. You can recruit her too. hell. Maybe they don't even know she can see Daemonites. They're just like, hey, we need more people to recruit. And there's some superhero posing as a stripper at this club. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> superhero posing as a stripper. I love it. <laughs> So they go there together and oh shit, here comes the, you know, the, here comes Pike and like the, the, you know, the two, uh, the two Coda, you know, Uma Thurman and uh, Timmy Moore. And (laughs) and it's like, oh shit, where these guys come from? And like, they're just kicking ass there. Yeah. And the Coda are like, you know, warriors taught with like an ancient tradition. So they're just 
ripping every, ripping the IO soldiers up, the cannon fodder soldiers up, you know, right. uh, Warblade's on the, you know, he's on the ropes, you know, trying to fight against the, the, the two coda at once with his like blade fingers or whatever. And yeah. And then Zella just jumps out of the rafters and just takes them all down. And then, and then Grifter's like, Oh, you know, I, I was wondering when you were going to show up, <laughs> you know, <that> kind of, <laughs> you're a little late. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe he goes to like light a cigarette and the cigarette's like cut in half. And he's like, Oh, you're a little late. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I could totally see Kurt Russell delivering that too. <laughs> exactly. Right. Don't smoke kids. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So this is a really cool way to like get all the characters on, on the, the stage, so to speak, pretty quickly. We have introduced them. The gnome is a way of introducing information. We have our mysterious villain, our good guys, you know, Marlo and Lynch are just working together. We just keep it simple. They go to the club, they, they get voodoo, and then we get to kind of go back and now we're going to explain everything. And maybe Lynch at this point is like, shit, like we just got our asses handed to us. Like this is b- bigger than I thought, you know? Yeah. Um, we get to have the whole explanation of they're going to explain to voodoo what's been happening. And maybe at this point, maybe like in the room, she looks at some random like soldier in the corner and is like, Oh my God. Ah, like screams and freaks out. She's like, why do I keep seeing these, these visions, these crazy nightmares? I'm going crazy. You know, I'm losing my mind. And they're like, wait, what did you see? You know? And like, there was like a Damonite mole, like in the team, you know, in the IO ranks and she saw him. And then she says something like, you know, I keep seeing these things lately. I thought I was going crazy. There's these like weird, you know, demons around town, uh, like in fucking they live. (laughs) Right. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like when I was thinking how this would work, (laughs) it would definitely be like they live. Yeah, that's, so that'd be cool, right? And then, yeah, we can kind of learn what her powers are and get, get, get all the exposition. Like, that's that's this whole scene, you know? And, right. like, and so basically we're just taking, like, what's in the comic and, like, sort of remixing it. And I'm okay with that. Like, this doesn't have to be, you know, something brand new, you know, from the ground up like we always do. I just think it'd be interesting to find a way to take this super complicated story and, like, put it on the screen. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I, I want to mention, like, okay, so the, we have the MacGuffin Orb, right? Um do does it need to be in the movie you know like do we have to have the macguffin orb um because because here's what i'm thinking like if we have you mentioned like that that it's it's this alien battery right and mm-hmm. we mentioned uh marlo talking about that sh- that that ship that alien ship they recovered where you know spartan was what if like you know the the daemonites make it look like they're after that like they're trying to recover that technology and in reality they're trying to draw the cats into a battle so they can get their hands on void because she's a teleporter and they want to open oh. a gateway to bring, you know what I'm saying? Like, Oh so yeah. No, what I, if she's the MacGuffin, that's fucking perfect. Here I am talking about trying to combine ideas together. And it's like, we got two fucking things trying to teleport shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, that's, that's perfect. No, that's absolutely perfect. Yeah. I love it. No, forget the orb. Like, yeah, the, the known power broker thing can just be like, he finds out that there's this, you know, gifted one working at the nightclub and he sells the information to both sides. Boom. Easy. Right. That's all that, that kicks off the action to get characters moving. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, and maybe what happens is like, because of this battle, like, you know, Hellspawn was there in the shadows or pike related back to him but one way or the other they're like fuck they got a teleporter on this team like void she doesn't just you know drop them off like she teleports in with them and then leaves you know so it's like they fly in and they're like that's it like that's the secret like we found it like we don't need this chick who can see demons like that sucks that they got her but like 
whatever like you know <laughs> we we just we just discovered like this is this is what the the secret we've been waiting for all these years we just needed to find a way you know to to make contact with our planet and now it's right there we got to get her yes okay cool uh, yeah i love it yeah i love it perfect that's absolutely perfect um yeah i mean and from here it's like yeah that's exactly what we do is we have this big scene at the club and then you know we have the little we we learn about the cabal we get to meet pike and maybe atticus there you know with with hellspond and he he gets to get he gets to go on some like super villain you know exposition scene about all these years i've been waiting to return to the but the planet you know damon to you know claim my my rightful uh throne or whatever the fuck you know his his right. my birth my birthright as a you know a lord of the seven hell <laughs> whatever you know <laughs> whatever it is I mean, some, <laughs> some crazy villain speech he's gonna do you know right. um you know maybe it's attica who's like oh i have an idea yeah <laughs> yeah and then yeah they maybe they start uh maybe they start attacking in public on purpose like the daemonites are suddenly yeah, exactly. They want to they know that there's this team. They need to find out more about him. They need to get some intel. Maybe Hellspot recognized Zealot, like the ancient warrior that I've been battling against, you know, for millennia. And he's like, shit, they got Zealot with him, but it's too good. Like, we got to get that teleporter lady. So, yeah, they're going to draw him out. So Attica is going to do some like terrorist attacks and, you know, attack some people. But they're going to do it in very strategic places, like wherever the ship is crashed. It's like, to your point, they're trying to draw the team like, come here, come over here, <laughs> you know. Right. And maybe it's just a fake plan. Maybe it's like maybe we have some sequence where we have Spartan who's like, you know, as an android, he's analyzing all of the attacks to try to, like, you know, trace the Daemonites back to their home base. They attacked here and here and here. And oh, wow. It seems like they've been drawing a circle around, uh, you know, that the, the crashed ship. Uh, you know, from from the planet Kara that we, we've been kept hidden all these years and there must be something that they need there. We're going to go there and wait for them and you know, we'll ambush them when we get there. And really, they're just being followed. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Like, I feel like the, 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 the basic plot of this movie is, like we said, the, the, the Daemonites versus the Wildcats, um, you know, alien invasion premise that that. Uh, the whole point of, of Hellspawn is to maybe, maybe I don't know maybe the the Daemonite homeworld is either dying or maybe they're they're out for conquest where it's just they open these portals on different planets and take over uh, whatever the, the their reasoning is it's just going to be an alien invasion story and I feel like we're, we're going to have enough chances for um, big battle sequences as the 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 uh you know the cabal try to draw out the wildcats maybe by attacking various locations and drawing them into battle um until they eventually get them where they need them to be to start the the stargate <laughs> basically you know to use void to open the stargate and start drawing out uh you know the daemon warriors yeah, no, I think that's 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 exactly perfect, and it's hell. hell uh, does even maybe it doesn't even have to be at like the wrecked ship. Like fuck the wrecked ship. Like that's just a set piece we have to build. It just just has to be some place where it's Hellspawn's uh, his his place where he has the upper hand. It could even just be his hideout, where, wherever he's yeah. where 
wherever he's been, you know, in some underground facility somewhere. So he wants to draw the Wildcats to him, and they think, oh, we, you know, we finally found his like hidden, you know, Damon Knight nest, and we're gonna go in there and ride him out. And instead, you know, as soon as Void, as soon as Void teleports them in, Attica has got some crazy like tech machine that he built where it's like a like a Faraday cage or some shit, and he right. traps Voodoo inside of it. And now it's like the plan was get Voodoo. If we have to kill all the Wildcats, you mean, we'll you kill mean Void. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Void. You're right. Yeah. yeah, it's get get Void, and then if we if we have to fight the rest of the Wildcats to keep her, then that's the battle we're gonna have to fight. You know, and right. uh, hell, maybe there could we can even have like a like a little twist, a little surprise here where we learn that Hellspawn, you know, he had we knew he, earlier on he had like a Moloch in the VP's office, hell, the president's office, right? And maybe right. while the Wildcats like they teleport in there, Void gets trapped. They're like, oh shit, now we're stuck in here with all these like Daemonites. We're gonna have to like you know fight our way out. You know, we're overwhelmed. And then here come all these human soldiers, IO, and they're like, oh cool, the IO guys are here. I wonder how they found us. But instead, IO turns on them. Like you know, John Lynch pulls a gun on the Wildcats, and he's like, you know, sorry guys, like following orders, you know, president's orders or whatever. And it's like, oh shit, like Hellspawn, like you know, turned the tables because you know he's uh he's leveraging you know the uh, the obedience of like military hierarchy <laughs> i i love it but i have one i have one proposal okay um, what if because we're, we're trying to figure out a way that like hellspawn would be able to keep tabs on them and all that we, we keep talking about the crash ship we talked about uh you know spartan's body being found there and you know now he's on the team and all that uh we also mentioned that what if hellspawn was possessing a spartan mm-hmm. um so what about this what about instead of like uh using the government against them what if this entire time, Hellspawn was able to see what Spartan was seeing. He couldn't control him, but he was mm. tapped into Spartan's mind because, again, he has the same, you know, same body. Maybe he has parts of the ship. Maybe that's what he used to build the gateway that he is then going to have void power to open up, you know, the gateway to the homeworld. Yeah. So what if the whole time he's been watching and like they, they've always been one step ahead of the wildcats They're like, how are they always one step ahead of us? You, you know? Go. And then we find out it's because again, and Spartan being like having him be like their tech guy, you know, like where he's kind of like relaying the information back to the rest. It's like, Hellspawn's been able to see this the entire time. So, because much like in the, in the comic book where like uh, Spartan has to sacrifice himself. Like I just picture this scene where how cool would it be? If like they're trying to figure out a way to free Void and they realize all this and Spartan rips his own eyes out. Oh, shit, yeah. That'd be like awesome. this, this mechanical, like very Terminator scene, just like, but like pulling, sparking from his eyes and like yanks his eyes out and they're all freaking out. And, you know, he's laying there like obviously in his, what do they call it? Like his robotic synapses are, are registering yeah. pain or whatever. Yeah, you exactly. Know, very obviously like an in pain thing, but him explaining it was necessary. So they can't see what we're doing. Oh, that's awesome. I, it's like, okay. he couldn't control me, but he could see, you know? So yeah. Yeah. I love it. No, no, you're sorry. I had the, the light bulb moment. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, that's great. So, I, okay. So yeah, we just combine all this into, Hellspot has an underground facility that is a wrecked ship, right? Yes. And so it's just one wrecked ship. And what we explain is that there was a Carabim or Karen like uh, like ambassador ship, like exploring, you know, like Star Trek, you know, exploring the cosmos, looking for like intelligent life. And they had Damonite like 
stowaways on there because they the Damonites knew that if these Karens ever find intelligent life somewhere, like that's for us because their home world is dying or something, you know, mm. right? And that's what we explained. So the, the Damonites have always they were all these like always these sort of like insects that were like infesting, you know, tagging yeah. along. So the ship crashes, the Caribbean ex- escape. You know, blend in humanity. They think that they're stuck there forever, not realizing that the, this bug infestation was like in their ship and they just turned it into their base. They, you know, again, Hellspawn took one of the android bodies and and took it over. Uh, yeah, exactly right. So I think that's a cool way to like also have a cool looking base because it's like a big like spaceship yeah. like underground somewhere, you know, crashed into a, you know, and it's been it's been built over now, like under New York City or Washington, D.C. or someplace, you know, right. Um, yeah, and uh, no, this is perfect, right? So yeah, and as they're in, earlier on, we had said we were gonna have like Voodoo was gonna notice some random like like IO guy in the corner or some tech in the corner, and it's like ah, he's secretly a Damonite, like he's a mole, you know, get that guy. But at, yeah, at some point we can have maybe we can have Marlowe be like, you know, we've always wondered how the Damonites were able to stay one step ahead of us, you know, and now we realize they got moles in our organization, <clears throat> and maybe this is maybe this is when Marlowe is like, okay, like Lynch, like we got to break it off, like you got moles in your organization, I can't risk it, like I, we're, we're going wild. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, yes. Right, that's perfect. We're going rogue, right? So, that, so then now our heroes are weakened, right? They're gonna, they're, so they're gonna go off on their own, right? So it's it's Emp, Spartan, Grifter, Voodoo, uh, Maul, Warblade, uh, and Zealot, right? Yeah. So it's the seven of them plus Void teleporting them in. Yeah, and the, to your point, like they're trying to get, they're trying, they, the, the Damonites are attacking places, drawing out diversions, terrorist attacks. They're trying to stop them. It's like they're always like one step behind, but like close, you know what I mean? And so they're not like suspicious. They're just like oh shit we didn't make it here in time we were seconds too late whatever yeah and then it's like the daemonites are drawing them into their base like you know come follow me ha 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 follow my breadcrumbs and right. they so they finally get into they teleport into like the wrecked ship attica the tech guy you know he he's he creates this faraday cage he traps void like we said all the other characters are like you know they're like oh shit what are we gonna do here comes lynch and the io guys because they're following orders you know um or whatever we don't even have to have that element i just like i just wanted to break up the marlo lynch team um but either way it works yeah i think it's a cool way to like oh shit now the wildcats are really down for the count they can't escape they're like you know their friend turned on them basically they have all these soldiers against them they're trapped in the daemonite like nest you know like what are we going to do so they're like scattered throughout the facility and you get these little fights you get you know you have a little zealot versus a pike or you know a grifter versus a you know an attica or whatever but at some point yeah you have spartan he's like oh i found like the command center like i can finally shut you know shut this place down or you know lock all the doors or whatever he's going to do like you know to stop everybody um and no one knows anything about the teleporting you know, like plan yet they just think that void is trapped because void being trapped means that they're trapped right right so spartan walks into this room and it's like this control room so there's like a wall of like monitors right and then as and as he walks in it's like all the monitors turn on and it's like he's looking down like one of those like you know uh like an in, in, infinite in, corridor <laughs> yeah exactly like an infinity mirror and it's like yep. as he realizes wait a second like this is like i'm seeing this because i'm seeing this and he's and it's like confusing to his like android brain and this is when hellspot like comes out of the shadows and again you have this like cool super villain exposition where he's like haha little did you know <laughs> <laughs> yep and explains the whole uh you know we've been using you blah 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 you've been leading leading your team right to us you know yeah 
and this that, is where he can and and, and it, this way too you know he can be like you know this is where he's gonna like explain however he explains it like you know dun 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 like you know i i wanted it wasn't you that i wanted it was void all along because now you know we're gonna she's gonna open up a portal right here on the ship to our homeland and and you know open up a, a permanent doorway for the daemonites to conquer this earth Mwahaha. <laughs> yep <laughs> perfect <laughs> i love it i love it yeah, so this is this is our our like second act, like bottom of the barrel. Where do we go from here? Moment, you know, when right. all the chips are down, right? Um, so what do we do? <laughs> well, I I mean honestly, you 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 can't threaten an invasion and not show it. So I think one of the things that would have to happen, considering again budget budgetary constraints notwithstanding, um, you'd have to have some kind of scene where you see like either. You know, a, a bunch of, I mean, this could be like Henson puppet style daemonites, like lined up waiting to come through the gateway. Oh, nice. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, I mean, it could be simple, like just a, a couple puppets. And then, you know, obviously you do that, that mirror effect where you have, it looks like there's hundreds of them or thousands of them. Um, and then have what I'm thinking is either have like a bunch of, you know, random schlubs, like <laughs> a bunch of like extras that uh, we can just say that Hellspont has been creating, uh, like, based on the Spartan technology, has been creating android bodies, you know, to host uh, his army as they come Ooh. through the gateway, you know? Yeah. And then, so we, like, we open, like, uh, a chamber. Picture, like, the Terminator facility. Oh, wait, you didn't see uh, Salvation, did you? The fourth Terminator? No. Okay, no. well, there's a Terminator facility. Um, <laughs> it's like, but I'm picturing, like, a big, like, facility room with like a bunch of just human bodies but obviously they're supposed to be spartans um so we have the gateway get open we have the daemonites come through we have now we have these armed daemonite you know cyborgs or whatever going out and like blowing shit up like it's it's now it's an all-on war and the wildcats have a, have to find a way to like stop them and maybe send them back through the gateway Okay, yeah, no, I love this. So at some point during this scene where Hellspawn is explaining everything, like this is when we have to have Spartan be like, not on my watch, and like rip his face off, you know? Right. Like, rip his eye- <laughs> <laughs> Literally, not on my watch. But I'm bumps. Okay, so now this, this, what you just said has solidified for me that we definitely got to have John Lynch come in here with at least a squad of IO guys. Maybe not a whole army, but at least a small right. number, right? Like a, 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 you know, a black ops team. And they're working for Hellspot again, following the you know, military command. So when Hellspot opens up the portal and it's like, oh shit, here it comes, right? So yeah, the, when the Daemonites start pouring in, we know because Hellspot told us that they're headed into this like iRobot facility, you know? Right. And, uh, but along the way, they run into these IO guys who are fighting off, you know, wildcats and shit. And it's like, suddenly these IO guys are just like screaming because they're being like possessed and taken over by Damonites. who are just grabbing the first thing that they see, you know? So then now you get Lynch who's going to, he's going to turn again. Like he's going to, you know, jump away from some Damonite blow. It's like freaking head into like, you know, uh, green glowing chunky pieces. And then, you know, <laughs> jump into a doorway and then Marlo's hiding in there and he's like, you know, fuck Marlo. I should have, I should have, you know, listened to you or, you know, whatever. And now he's like, okay, you know, tables have turned again, whatever. Right. So now we right. get, now you get Lynch, you know, he, and he calls out the orders. Anyone, anyone who isn't, uh, you know, possessed by a bug, you know, <laughs> you know turn around, you know, right. Uh, fire at will so then now you get the wildcats have a little bit of help um 
you know, it's but, but then you have a big action sequence. You get Io versus Io, the you know possessed versus you know, the guys who are still you know human and loyal to Lynch, and right. but now it's like now there's chaos because already the you know seconds into it you know hellspawn's invasion plan is has, has had a little bit of a hiccup you know um, right and, and this is where we can also get a good action scene with maul and warblade because you got to have that um and can, keep in mind like when the, the the comics ended it was all in this facility anyway so it makes sense to have the final action sequence like down in hellspawn's facility yeah i totally agree and i think that uh maul uh, and being um being Brendan Fraser would be fun if we do a scene where, yeah, the Daemonites, the new Daemonites are jumping down into like the the robot facility where all like the Spartan androids are, and yeah, let's ha- let's have let's have Warblade and Maul both go down there and like look at each other and just be like, let's do this thing and just start fucking slashing robot bodies. Oh like, hell let, yeah! Right, just. Warblade is just slicing into pieces like in the fucking uh, in cube, you know, just right. uh, just go into town and w- Maul is just bashing heads bashing and, <laughs> and spinning and he's just going crazy this is his berserker age he's yelling that big brendan fraser like you know tooth yell and yep. he's getting bigger and he's getting bigger you know and now maybe warblade's like oh fuck you know <laughs> like yeah and, um, and we, we we'll cut away to some to see some other battles you know have zealot take out the take out the the coda warriors and devin and hestia just take him down once and for all you know have uh we gotta have grifter you know either take out pike or send him running you know for uh, to battle another day you know whatever right. feel feel free to, to come back and you know throw in some some scenes but the reason, reason i mentioned the mall thing is at the end of all this when they're like you know coming out of the rubble we have to have that emotional moment where it's like wait where's maul like where's jeremy you know that, yeah. his, his name is jeremy stone and they're you know and have warblade you know climb up and be like you know he went berserk and brought the whole ceiling down on top of him and all those sold all those you know androids or whatever and they just for a brief moment they're worried like what happened to him and then you see this like giant slab you know lift up and it's like you know here 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 he comes except he's regular human maul like human sized like normal passed out and he wasn't the one that lifted up the slab it was you know spartan who coming out with like one leg and one arm left because he'd been yeah. crushed in there with them. But, he, but, and then you're like, yeah, you know, Spartan, he, he lived, you know, and, and Maul is okay, you know, yep. <laughs> but Spartan is like fucked, you know, well, <laughs> and keep in mind, like we could just, he, there's a whole facility of Spartan robots. So we can yeah. just download his memories into another Spartan. Yeah, that's like that. That's just a dashed off line of dialogue. Have Marlo be like, you know, one of these bodies has got to still be good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but no, I think it's funny because like I wasn't even putting this piece, these pieces together. You kept mentioning the IO soldiers, and they take the place of the young blood role in the comic books. Like, because oh, obviously yeah. we're not going to have young blood there. So we have the IO soldiers, you know, at first against them and then helping them. So they completely fill the role of the young blood characters. Um. I didn't even sense. realize that myself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel like the the battle culminates obviously with you know we have all the cats fighting the Spartans, um, the the, the possessed Spartans, uh, like like you said, Maul tearing down the ceiling, like big action set pieces. Maybe maybe fucking Pike um, gets thrown through the gateway back to the Daemonite homeworld. Um, awesome. Have something crazy like that. We have to have them that maybe Pike and Hellspawn, let's say we have to have something where it's like Mm -hmm. they get taken out. But we have to question, "Ah, are they going to be back? You know, so is there going to be a sequel type of thing? Um, And we have to get Void out of the the battery position of opening this gateway. So 
I don't know if we want to do that thing where like, you know, the whole facility seems like it's going to blow and, and, you know, and, you know, pulls her out and uses, you know, his power that he didn't know he had, you know, allows her to mm-hmm. tap into his power. Cause, cause Hellspawn's drained her power. Um, we could have like, we're not going to make it out before this whole place blows, you know, and have him be like, you know, use my power, whatever she uses, you know, his power as a battery and is able to teleport all of them out of the facility, just like in the comic book. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I love it. One thing real quick. Yeah. I love that Pike and, and Hellspont get sucked through the portal. We haven't, I don't know if it's, if it's worth taking the time to mention that Pike is like a Caribbean like traitor, but since yeah. he is, it'd be really cool if, it, if he got his comeuppance, if he got sucked through the portal with Hellspond and then all the Daemonites were just like sniffing like Caribbean, Caribbean, you know, and it's like, yep. they, it's like they know who he is and they just fucking swarm on him, you know? <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> Bye, Pike. Bye. Yeah. So, no, you're totally right. So, yeah, we have Maul in Warblade, like in the in the, the iRobot room. And, yeah, Maul's bringing the ceiling down and Warblade's, oh, shit. And he like he's running away. But as the ceiling's collapsing, you're like, no, Maul, shit, he was in there. You know, whatever. Right. But this, is, but this is when Lynch and like Grifter and Warblade, this is their chance to get the fuck out of Dodge. Right. You know, yeah, they're taking Voodoo with him. And then so who we have left in there is we have Marlowe, we have Spartan, we have uh, Void. And of course, you know, we don't know what happened to Maul just yet. Right. So, yeah, I, I say we have Spartan blind, like, you know, feel his way or uses, you know, his robot, you know, whatever senses to get to the Faraday cage. And he's like, you know, he's having trouble analyzing it because he ripped part of his face off. And he's mm-hmm. just like, we don't have time for this. And maybe Marlo's there. He's just like, we don't have time for this, you know. And so right. Spartan Spartan just like grabs like the power supply and like rips out the cables and just overloads it like through his own body. Like he shorts out the whole freaking thing and like fries himself, you know. Nice. Um, and that way, you know, he he goes down in, in in a pile of you know smoking, sparking mess. Uh, Void falls out of the out of the Faraday cage, yeah. And and the Marlo's like, quick, you know, Void, Adriana, that's her name. Adriana, you gotta get us out of here. Adriana, wake up, wake up, you know. And he's like, oh no, <laughs> uh, right. you know, we rescued her, but now like we can't get out of here. You know, Spartan's destroyed. Marlo doesn't know where anybody is. Yeah. So yeah, it, this is it. In the moment of desperation, you know, while he's yelling like, you know, Void, Adriana, like help, we have to get out of here. Like maybe his body starts to glow like white, and it's like, oh shit, there's something happening. Like what's yeah. going on with Marlo? And uh, yeah, and it's like maybe he was the battery all along, and he powers Void up. She wakes up, does that thing where you know in movies where they wake up gasping and eyes wide you know (laughs) and then just and just her 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 gut reaction you know to her fight or flight is just go and just boom everyone just gets teleported out you know that around her it was like you know it's or just her and marlo i guess are probably left right and then yeah and then we do the whole sequence where it's like oh no jeremy oh no spartan but then you know here comes you know spartan with like one arm you know pulling jeremy out of the mess or or maul out of the mess nice (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so, yeah i think this is great and we explain obviously in the epilogue like that uh you know that emp had powers that marlo had powers that you know he didn't even know he had and and this is where we find out you know oh carabin blah 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 like we can tell some of that backstory in like the the epilogue um along with oh look spartan's gonna be okay we've we've downloaded his memories into a new body like one that we stole from the hellspawn facility but this time we made sure that he's not hooked up to any other computers blah 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 you know that kind of a thing maybe they can be like you know and we made some upgrades you know to the new spartan body or whatever you know so that way you get something you know some little hook for like a sequel definitely no i think this is good 
Yeah, no, so I, I think this is good. I think we talked for a super long time before we did like the little improv about the Wildcats and the image comics. So there's no reason to, you know, talk on any longer about it. Uh, this is a, a lot of fun. I've wanted this for a long time. And yeah, like I said, you know, maybe we weren't, you know, reinventing the the wheel, but I think it would be a really, really cool, like 90s era, like budget friendly action flick that honestly oh, probably would have made, made that Spawn movie, you know, uh, would have given it a run for its money for sure. Totally agree. And, and that's the thing. Like what one of the main uh, thought processes going into this was keep it rooted in its time period. And, and I like when we get to do that because it, it definitely changes things a bit because nowadays, you know, it's just like, oh, it's all done with computers. You know, people w- write it off like that. But you have to think about like, well, how would they have done this? creative idea back then and so that's why we changed a lot of the costumes and set pieces and all that because we kind of had to um but yeah i really like this i would have loved to i would love to to come back uh to this concept with other characters and 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 team books you know like we have we've mentioned uh what if x-men was made in the 90s like how would we cast it what would the story be all that um i would love to do a shadow hawk one i i know mm-hmm. he's not the the most beloved but man i love him um yeah but you know yeah, he, he needs a better story <laughs> yeah I yeah. would I would love to come back to this. So, yeah, I mean, listeners, if, if you guys dig this, let us know, because uh, the, I mean, I know Josh is more of the comic book fanboy than I am. But this is two old school comic book fanboys just having a lot of fun. So, Yeah, for sure. I've, and, you know, hey, it's, it's our fucking show. So if I want to talk yeah. about image comics in the 90s, I will. <laughs> this, this is true. This is true. <laughs> or really anything. Yeah. I mean, I have no problem adding like, you know, comic book to uh, to our favorite movies, TV and games as well. So, yeah, I think this is a lot of fun. I hope listeners out there, if you're you know of the VHS era, if you're a similar age than us, then you, you, you knew you know, who the Wildcats were. Maybe you didn't know the whole story off the bat, you know, and, and you learned something. Hopefully, you know, you were entertained. But, yeah, I know I had a good time and I'm definitely down to do this sort of thing again you know for shadowhawk youngblood you know whatever <laughs> so, so some of those books could use some better stories <laughs> absolutely um, real quick i forgot to mention or maybe i didn't forget and i can't remember at all but did i mention that i wanted to cast michael ironside as attica that's who i've been picturing this whole fucking time <laughs> no but i you know i was wondering because you said that you had michael ironside on a picture like on, on open on your computer that's yeah. freaking perfect <laughs> I just think, yeah, if you picture the character in the comic, he has like this bald head with like these weird like, you know, electrical devices and stuff like plugged in like wires and and jumpers and stuff. And he has this weird visor. Uh, Yeah. Michael Ironside would just be perfect in that role. He's like sort of the evil, like, you know, tech villain. Um, Let's be honest. Anytime we can cast Michael Ironside in a villain role, it's always a win. Yeah. Every time, every time we got to squeeze him in somewhere every time we do a fan cast. But yeah, I would love to do X-Men, the animated series, but like adapt that into like a movie, like a live action movie. So it's like a movie based on the cartoon series. That's like a distillation of like 40 years of comics, you know, like (laughs) how fun would that be? (laughs) That would be awesome. All right. Well, we'll save that one for next time. But in the meantime, if you're listening and you don't already know, check us out at RaisedByRentals.com or RaisedByRentals on all the social medias. We are also a member of the Red Pantheon, a super team up, superhero, podcasters, artists, musicians, and all kinds of other creative people who support each other, help to spread the word about rad stuff. So if you like this show, there's a good chance you'll dig one or more of the other Red Pantheon projects. Uh, 
podcasts like the Boogeyman's Closet, Count Creepy Head, Saturday Morning Monster Mash, Comics Boost on Instagram and Twitter, and a bunch of other stuff. So with that, I, I think we're good here. Mike, anything else you want to add? No, I think we're good. Awesome. So thanks, everyone, again for tuning in uh, to the Raised by Rentals program. Once again, if you had fun, let us know. Drop us a line. Drop us a comment, uh, an email, a chat. We'd love to hear from you. And let us know what you think we should improv, improve next time. With that, I'm Josh. I'm Mike. And we have to return some videotapes. Raised by Rentals is a member of the Rad Pantheon Network. Visit radpantheon.com to support Rad Stuff. The theme music is Forbidden Fruit by Velvet Bethany. You can purchase music and learn more at velvetbethany.com. Mm-hmm.